Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on this Monday afternoon. We'll call it Super Monday here from the Hoopsville studios. I am your host, Dave McHugh, broadcasting from the NABC WBCA studios. Thanks in part to D3Hoops.com. Crazy weekend to get through. Appreciate you all taking the time to uh, uh, not uh, expect us on... Um... Sorry, just getting an, an important text. Um... Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, uh, thanks for not having us have to do the show on Sunday or looking for it. I didn't get any tweets saying, hey, where are you tonight? Or that means we got nobody watching the show or expecting us to be on the air. Uh, you could take that either way. But we are on the air this Monday afternoon. We appreciate all of you who are taking the time. Already got one person messaging us over. Appreciate that. Um, lots to talk about. More craziness in Division Three. <laughs> shocker, shocker. Uh, lots of red, as it were. Um, a fellow poster um, does an amazing job of keeping track of what's going on in the top 25 each week and putting them on D3 boards each week. Um, Daryl Nestor does a great job with that. Uh, the, the trick is <laughs> he writes things in red. I don't actually see the red. I'm red, green, colorblind, and I just can't see that particular color red. Uh, makes it a little bit different, uh, difficult, to say the least. Um, so we'll see. Um, but he also does some other things that allow me to read it. So we have that, and we will get that list up here momentarily of how they fared, as it were. It's just top 25. Not that there wasn't plenty more to talk about. Quick uh, thank you to everybody in Division III uh, for their support of our Thursday Marathon show. Uh, great show. Uh, lots of you tuned in. We appreciate it. We went 14 hours. I know a lot of you didn't get a chance to see the happy hour segment. I apologize for that. Uh, apparently, the drawback of telling um, YouTube exactly how long you're going to go with a show, which we do rarely, but I happen to do with this one, is they cut off the archive at that amount of time, even though you may have gone longer. We have the file available. Uh, we just had some trouble saving it. Um, I think it's because we have so much on our hard drive uh, that even every time I clear my hard drive, it doesn't clear enough space. Long story short, thought I could get it done before today's show and get it uploaded. We had some more problems. It is in limbo. We will get it posted. So, yes, it's a little dated, but you can go back and enjoy that. We talked about a lot of topics, a number of topics, including where we think the new Atlantic East region will go. That is the name we have, we've been hearing through the grapevines. I feel comfortable enough to tell you that is uh, the name unless we hear otherwise. Uh, Atlantic East will, in my opinion, be going into the Mid-Atlantic region. It's a topic you can listen more on the happy hour, also discussed on the D3 boards. If you want to hear why I have that reasoning, putting two and two together, doesn't mean it's going to happen. We haven't heard it officially from the NCAA. Heck, we've barely heard anything official from what it will be the Atlantic East, to be blunt. Uh, but that is, in my opinion, where that region will or where that conference will be slotted regionally. Uh, we'll get to guests here in a moment on what is a jam-packed show. We will not hear from Ryan Scott for our top 25 double take. Uh, Ryan is under the weather. Uh, honestly, he was under the weather Thursday and joined us, but he, it has gotten uh, somewhat worse since then. We, have, we, we feel bad for him. Um, so he won't be joining us. I'll try and do at least a little bit of what I think is going on uh, in the top 25 that will come out later. I personally still need to do a yeoman's amount of work to get that done before the deadline after the show ends, so we're going to be hurrying to do that. Uh, but here's what we got coming up on the show. Mark Edwards from number two, WashU Bears, will join us in just a few minutes to talk about his high-flying team. They have now beaten Emory and Rochester in back-to-back -back weekends, and Emory by an average at least, I think, of 15 points. They have been in control of both games against Emory. We'll talk to him 
about just how good the Bears are and the difference in seasons. I, I don't think, listen, I think they were good in the first semester, but the loss to Augustana, the loss to Mount St. Joseph, um, I think, you know, has a lot of people wondering what, what might have been going on with the Bears. The Bears look very different now. Is that the same uh, point of view he has? We'll also talk to Chris Harvey, the head coach from Salem State men's basketball. They may be the team no one's talking about in the Northeast, flying a little bit under the radar, though they may be playing some of the best basketball. Hard to judge their resume. We'll talk to Coach Harvey about that resume. Bill Fenland from DePaul will join us in the NABC Coaches Corner. I called him, I think, the uh, mad scientist on my, on my tweet. I don't even remember what I tweeted, to be honest with you. Uh, we talked about him coming on the show. Let's see here if we can find it. Uh, I know it's in here. There it is. I called him the uh, mad genius. Uh, that's all about his decisions and what he does with uh, a team leading by, or your team leading by three and trying to keep the other team from winning a game. But we're going to talk to him mainly about this Peace Players program that he has in, is involved with and an endowment in his name for travel expenses. We'll talk to him about all of that and what makes him tick off the court. That's coming up in the NABC Coaches Corner. We'll talk to Kings Women's Basketball. Coach Caitlin will join us on the show to talk about her Monarchs. Fascinating team, to be honest with you. Uh, really quick turnaround, maybe because of some transfers, but most importantly, maybe they've got things going in the right direction after a couple of years of kind of limbo. And then Cameron Hill from Trinity, Texas, will join us. We'll talk about his Tigers. So interesting enough, back-to-back Tiger teams, as it were. We'll talk to Cameron Hill uh, about the race in the ASC, the split. I think it's a split, if not 0-2 to Austin. Uh, we just don't have the note in front of me. I apologize. Uh, we'll talk to him about that, the race in the SCAC, and much more. That's coming up all here on the show. Of course, you can interact with us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, and join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. To all my Eagles fans out there, congratulations. Certainly uh, a tip of the hat, as it were, to to the Eagles for winning the Super Bowl. And we're just glad our friends haven't burned down in the city. The city is still standing, as Jay Cozen points out. Now, the big game may be over, but the party in, in Philly and the region will be going on for a long time. The Eagles beat the evil empire. Check in with James Wagner to make sure he's okay, as he thought the city might burn down from the Eagles' won. We will check in with Wags. And as a, as a diehard Chicago Cubs fan, I know the feeling. Uh, I may know the feeling to a whole other level uh, than Eagles fans, but I can appreciate where the Eagles fans are today uh, and just glad that they uh, – now, they, someone said it might be the, the – the parade to beat all parades. I'm not sure if you could ever beat the Cubs parade, but I'll be fascinated to see how many Eagles fans show up for what should be a great uh, game. And that's one of the reasons we didn't air on Sunday is we've tried to air on Sunday earlier in the day. It's a big headache, and we just don't get enough done, especially for those who want to enjoy the Super Bowl. So we're trying this new this year, the Super Monday show. Despite the title on our YouTube page, it is Super Monday. We'll get that adjusted at some point. All right, so um, I got a couple messages. need to double-check here. Uh, let's talk about the How They Fared segment, which we teased a little bit there at the beginning. Um, oh, I got a quick question. We'll get to that first. Ken asks me, what do you think of Johns Hopkins' chance of hosting the Men's Centennial Conference Tournament? Currently in third place, just a game behind F&M and SWAT. Their next two games are home against F&M and SWAT, uh, followed by two probably easier games at Washington College and Haverford. Hey, I think Hopkins is in the mix. Uh, Swarthmore has shown me some flaws I'm a little worried about them. McDaniel nearly beat them on Saturday uh, at home for Swarthmore. That should be a win. Swarthmore should have had that like they did the game at McDaniel. FNM has shown signs that they're not exactly on par. The trick is Hopkins is going to have to beat FNM and Swarthmore. I think both of them, to be honest. I know they're only a game back and one game would put them in a tie, but do you want to get into tiebreakers? Probably not. 
Furthermore, you got to go to Washington College, not one of the easiest places to play. All the good teams struggle at Washington College. And then you got to go to Haverford, who's showing signs of improvement this year as well. So I don't think Hopkins has a very easy road. And I don't think you know, easier games than FNM and Swarthmore, possibly you could say that about Wash and Haverford. So I think Hopkins is in the mix, but they're going to have to do it themselves. And they're going to have to, uh, by doing it themselves, beating FNM and Swarthmore and holding court against Washington College and Haverford, they'll put themselves in that position to, to host, uh, which would be a great story con- uh, under first-year head coach uh, Josh Leffler. However, FNM and Swarthmore, just to start, are going to be a tough test. I don't know what's going on with Swarthmore. I'm a little bit worried. Um, the word I had, though not from someone who was able to watch the game directly, was Swarthmore had trouble getting the ball inside against McDaniel. Say what? I know McDaniel's defense can be stingy, but they don't have any height. Uh, the biggest they got is Young at 6'9", but he is quote-unquote young. Um, I don't know why Swarthmore would have struggled there. I don't know if something has gone awry since the holiday break. I've seen them uh, a couple of times on video and in person, and something seems to be off about them. I I love what they have for talent. I think they're a very good team, and they could turn things on at any point in time, and they've got a tremendous guard in Wiley and some great inside presence. But if they're struggling against McDaniel, and I realize it's the second time around, and, and they're taking losses they shouldn't be taking, I don't know what's going on, and Swarthmore worries me. Uh, speaking of that and how they did fare, uh, in the men's top 25, uh, St. John's had a rough weekend. They got past Gustavus Adolphus and Concordia Moorhead last week, but lost to St. Olaf on the road 75-62. Maybe it's just one of those you should expect in the Mayak, as St. John's wasn't going to dominate that much in the sense of going undefeated. Um, but that loss I didn't see coming. Uh, St. Olaf's a good team, but I didn't see that one coming. Whitworth got through the weekend unscathed. So did Middlebury, who had to play Keene State, Bowden, and Colby this past week. And Bowden was the closest game they had, uh, though you could argue Keene State was close, but Bowden was a two-point outcome. Uh, Swarthmore, as we mentioned, a tough game against McDaniel, losing by six. They lost to Muhlenberg back on Wednesday in overtime. We talked a little bit about that on the marathon. That's where I'm worried about Swarthmore here. Seventh ranked, I think, is too high to begin with. I don't have them that high. Um, but that loss to Muhlenberg may check that. MIT lost to Baps in an overtime on Wednesday but and then had to have overtime to get past Wheaton. They are banged up. I have to double-check if their top guy played against Wheaton. That could make me, MIT a very different team. Augustana defeated Illinois Wesley, and we mentioned this on the marathon, 88-79. Terrific win to split the season with the Titans, but then rolled over against Carroll, 77-69. One person tried to make an argument with me because of the foul discrepancy. doesn't want to talk about that game, the foul shooting discrepancy. I'm not getting into foul discrepancies. I'm not going to do it. it. Too many people, in my opinion, feel that foul shots and foul calls should be equal numbers. In no way, shape, or form is that the style of, of, of any sport I know. Just because one team has 10 fouls doesn't mean another team should have 10 fouls. It's dictated by a number of things. Now, I didn't watch Augustana Carroll in detail. I spent much of the weekend trying to do some stuff around the house since I know the next six-plus weekends are going to be lost uh, for my family uh, with me basically too busy to, to do a lot of projects. So I didn't get to ch- dive into that game as much as I want. I'll try and maybe go back and watch it. But sometimes those foul discrepancies are based not on the officiating, which people would like to blame, but more on the fact that some teams attack more or some teams are more foul-driven by their defense. Uh, Augustana lost a game against Carroll. I've seen teams who've had a 20-shot difference in free throws go on to beat a team rather easily. Uh, I don't put any stock in that nine times out of ten, and Augustana took a loss they shouldn't have taken. They're now 16-5. and I'll be very interested to see what voters do with that past week. 
Uh, York got past their week. That's good to see. Light Cummings suffered another loss this time to Arcadia, 101 to 91. Uh, again, I'm not voting for Light Cummings. I voted for him one week, um, maybe accidentally. Uh, not sure what voters think of that result. Uh, we mentioned Whitewater losing to Stevens Point on Wednesday, but they came back and beat Stout, and that's a good win for Whitewater to stay in the mix. But they're five losses now as well. Illinois Wesleyan only had one game this week. They lost to Augustana. We talked about that on Thursday. They recharge this weekend, and they go into next week and, and Wednesday with a with a head of steam, hopefully. Emory beat Chicago, lost to Wash U. Very similar to the previous weekend. They're now 16-4. and four. Not sure what the voters are going to think of that. I don't know what to think of it myself. Again, I expect Wash U to beat them. That's how my ballot is positioned. However, they've now lost by 15 by both. Does that mean Wash U is just that tremendously good, or does that mean Emory's not as good as we all thought they were? Eastern Connecticut continues to win. Congrats to them. Wesleyan lost to Trinity this week, 73-60. That's not a good loss for Wesleyan. I'm half-tempted to drop them right out of my top 25 now. Oshkosh lost to Platteville early in the week. We talked about that. Eau Claire, though, is back at 77-72. Uh, I'm sorry, Oshkosh got back into it with a win over Eau Claire, 77-72. I got an email from someone who's, who asks, I uh, hope you mentioned the Eau Claire team who is now who now has their top score back after seven to eight games, I assume, uh, missing him with injury. The problem is they lost to Blatfield, um, I mean to Oshkosh. I think Eau Claire is a good team, but there's a huge mix of good teams in the WIAC, and I'm not sure Eau Claire can get past the teams ahead of them right now. Emory and Henry had a horrible week. Lost to Roanoke and Lynchburg, 76-68, 81-79. They will fall out of the top 25, I promise you, because the voters were already a little bit leery about them. Um, I will probably have to drop them myself. That's a bad week. I know the ODAC is challenging, but if Emory and Henry's that good, you beat at Roanoke, granted it was on the road, and you beat Lynchburg, and granted it's on the road. I've said this before about the NJAC and other conferences. You need to win road games sometimes to put your foot down on a conference, and I don't see that with this kind of week with Emory and Henry. Fascinating week. We'll see how that plays out. Platteville had a great week beating uh, Oshkosh to sweep the season and beating lacrosse. Hamilton had a good week, which is interesting. Marietta lost to Heidelberg. Here, here we go with, again, results you cannot figure out. Marietta losing to Heidelberg uh, early in the week, 71-65. I think Heidelberg now has beaten, if, I'm, if memory serves, have beaten both Marietta and John Carroll in the last couple of weeks. Franklin and Marshall losing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't uh, back to uh, Heidelberg. It was Marlon Wallace they beat, wasn't it? Uh, I'll have to look that one up. Franklin and Marshall, uh, ranked 23rd, got past Ursinus and Muhlenberg. River Falls beat Lacrosse, then lost to Stevens Point. Stevens Point's the enigma in this conference right now. Got to figure them out. They beat Whitewater and River Falls. We're going to have to somehow talk about them. We're going to have to somehow make an arrangement to get them on the show so we can talk about them, despite the fact there's not much they can talk about that everybody wants to hear about. So we're going to have to talk somehow to the Stevens Point squad, figure out what is going on in the WIAC. It's a fascinating story, to say the least. And again, it's defense that may be driving Stevens Point, who's 15-6 and now. Receiving votes, Gwyneth Mercy had a bad week. I'm going to have to drop them. Lost to Cabrini and Lehman. New Jersey City lost to Rowan this past weekend. Uh, another bad loss in the NJAC. Ohio Wesleyan lost to Denison in the middle of the week. At least got past Kenyon in a high-scoring affair. Maybe that's a sign that Ohio Wesleyan's offense is kind of starting to come back together. Hanover lost to Rose Holman overtime and then defeated Henderson. Maryville lost to Covenant, then beat William Peace. That's going to get voters like myself who have been on Maryville's bandwagon to consider maybe something else. And then the rest of the receiving votes took a battle, took a hit. Baldwin Wallace took another loss. He lost three straight, lost to Ohio Northern before finally getting past Otterbine. Occidental lost to Claremont Mud Scripps. That's not a good loss for Occidental, even though Claremont we had talked about in the preseason being a darn good team, and maybe they're finally resurrecting that point. Cabrini at least got had a good week. 
defeating Gwen and Mercy in Staten Island in the um, in the CUNYAC uh, CSAC battle. Uh, TCNJ lost two games as well. Rowan and Ramapo, 16 and 6 now. The NJAC is disintegrating against themselves, and that's not a good sign if you want extra bids out of the NJAC. Keene State lost to Middlebury before getting past Rhode Island College, and then Rochester lost to Wash U and Chicago. They're now 13-7, and and maybe the wheels have come off the Yellow Jackets at this point. On the women's side, we had a number of losses, too. I'll get to them quickly. Uh, Tufts lost to Amherst. That's their third loss of the season now. They lost 50-43, to though sandwiched that loss with a win over Babson and a win over Hamilton during the week. Rochester women took back-to-back losses. They now have four losses on the season. Um, Wash U and Chicago upended them on, on the road. Interesting result there, to say the least. And that's Rochester now, what, three one and three in the last two weeks? Uh, really starting to struggle uh, on the women's side. Oshkosh lost to Eau Claire. So the Oshkosh team takes a third loss. Uh, Montclair State took their first loss in 17 games to Stockton, 69-62. Kind of a little surprising there. Their second loss of the season. Marymount in the rematch to Christopher Newport. Uh, lost 70-52, probably not the biggest surprise considering um, it looks like Christopher Newport got their point guard back. She didn't start but played 19 minutes. Uh, that might be more of a story about Christopher Newport than Marymount. They're 18-3. and three. I'm not surprised they split the season with those two considering. Also, Marymount had to play that one at Christopher Newport. Marietta got past, lost to Mount Union, but then got past Eidelberg. I'm not sure what the voters will do with Marietta this week. Wisconsin Lutheran took their first loss after being ranked for the first time in program history. Got past Marietta Baptist and then Edgewood after that, but it's that Lakeland game that may cost them that top 25 slot. Juniata lost to Scranton 62-45, so they now split the season if memory serves. And the other loss, River Falls took two to Lacrosse and Stevens Point. One voter I know in the women's top 25 said he switched out five five members, which is a lot um, by their standard, to say the least. All right, so that's kind of the real quick recap. We're going to get going here and get to our guests, and we'll talk about a number of these topics as we move along. Um, but a lot to, to try and figure out. Again, Ryan won't be on at the end of the show, but we'll pro- try and sneak in your questions throughout the show uh, and also some other things. Oh, by the way, Mark said, oh, sorry, should have mentioned Eau Claire women, their top score back. That sounds a little bit more right, Mark. Thank you. Um, they beat Oshkosh and barely lost to Whitewater. Well, it's nice to see Eau Claire's top scorer is back, to say the least. I'm, I'm glad to see that. That said, <laughs> uh, that's also a crazy race. Uh, both Wyack races are crazy. Right now, Whitewater's leading the way. Oshkosh, Eau Claire, and Lacrosse are tied a game back. And then you got River Falls and then Stevens Point. Whitewater's in the driver's seat right now, especially with a win over Eau Claire, or another win over Eau Claire. Oshkosh and Lacrosse in the mix. It's it's a craziness. I like Eau Claire. I think they're a good team, but they're they're in a world of hurt here in the sense that they got to keep winning to get into the NCAA tournament. And already a sweep against Whitewater is going to put them behind the ball for the number one seed. They're going to have to have, have Whitewater in the conference absolutely implode on the way to the end here for them to have a chance maybe to be the number one seed. Eau Claire is dangerous. So is the rest of that Wyack. I'm not sure what to make um, of their chances. Their top score is back, which is great, but they already have a number of losses that uh, to deal with. And sometimes getting an extra player back isn't always beneficial. Sometimes the team has figured things out without that extra player. Could argue the opposite here with Eau Claire. I get that. They took a number of losses with that player down, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I, the, the whack is so wide open, it's hard to predict things, to be blunt. All right, we're going to take a break, as we said. Coming on next will be WashU men's basketball coach, Mark Edwards will talk to him about the Bears and how they're doing this season and what is being 
Right now, a coronation in the in the conference, they are clicking right along. You listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops Hope after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this Monday edition of the show. Again, not on the air because of Super Sunday. We're on here on Super Monday, despite what the uh, YouTube page says. We'll fix that in post. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville, where we are live streaming the show uh, on simulcast, as it were. All right, so Wash U. Maybe we could call them uh, a tale of two uh, halves right now. Certainly a good team. They've been in the top 25 conversation for much of the way. But at the same time, they, their only two losses were suffered in the 2017 part of the season. A loss to Mount St. Joseph at the end of November, 94-76. A loss to Augustana at the end of December, 72-57. Interestingly enough, uh, similar point spreads. They got through the end of January without taking a loss, and now they enter February having back-to-back -back wins over Rochester and Emory home-and-home. -home. They've still got five games left in the conference schedule, positioning themselves for March and certainly playing what seems to be far better basketball than they were playing uh, a week or in the uh, 2017 part, 
Is that accurate? Who knows? Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, presented by City of Salem, is Mark Edwards, the head coach of WashU. Coach, thanks for taking the time, sir. It's always a pleasure. Enjoy talking D3 basketball, and you guys are the source. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've, I feel like it's a, a story of two seasons because, honestly, the loss to Mount St. Joseph had me kind of scratching my head. I, I knew you guys were a good team, but I didn't know what to make of it. Then you go and smoke Illinois Wesley in 95-69, and 12 days later, Augustana smokes you 72-57. But then since then, you have looked like a very good team, and a coach who faced you in the last few weeks texted me and said, that is one of the best teams I have ever coached against in my career, which for him is saying something. Is this a tale of two sides where you guys have finally figured like the perfect thing out, as it were, and now you're clicking and maybe unstoppable? Well, I think the big thing with any team is as the season progresses, um, you start to you, you become better. I mean, the object is to be the best team you can be in March, and I think that uh, there were things that we had to we had to work on and things we had to work through. Um, and yes, we've been playing pretty good basketball, but I thought we were playing good basketball back then too. You know, it just would be periods of the game of inconsistency, which I think is, is the big thing. If a team's going to get better, they, they iron out those periods of inconsistency and, and become uh, more consistent throughout the game. I mean, you can look at the games that, uh, uh, you know, we won by four or five points or whatever, and, and you'll see that there were times we were down by 16 or times we were up by 15 or, the, you know, the two games we lose, uh, we're, you know, we win the second half or, yeah. you know, there's just all kinds of circumstances. What you want to give is consistency. And I think that's what we're doing right now. Well, it's interesting. You know, you're scoring 85, almost 86 points a game while only giving up 72. So you got a huge discrepancy here. But what jumps out at me of that 86 points a game is you have six players in double figures, and then it's a significant drop-off after that. What it kind of reminds me of is your championship teams, and maybe you can correct me if I'm forgetting something here, but your championship teams had that really amazing core and a little bit of help off the bench. In this case, it's six players in double figures. And you didn't necessarily need everybody else because you had such a unit that was working so well together, and a lot of these guys are seniors, that, that you didn't necessarily need guys off the bench to plug into any hole or to give you a spot and kind of help turn things around? I, yeah, I think that's one way to look at it uh, from a statistical standpoint. For instance, uh, uh, we had a game, I think it was at Emory last weekend uh, on the road, where we scored 84 points, but 80 of them were by the five, uh, yeah. the five starters. Right. And, you know, I think that that is significant. But there's there's a little more to it because we can go back to other games where uh, somebody came in off the bench and gave us a big lift, or somebody came in and got the big rebound uh, that may not show up in a in a, a large statistic, sure. but it's significant in helping us win. The other thing that I think is really important is that every day in practice we are practicing against people who make us better, and uh, that goes on both sides of the coin. The guys that are starting are making the younger kids better. And, you know, at some point they're going to get their opportunity just like they did. Uh, the same five, uh, the same six seniors that we have right now, five of whom start, were sitting at this spot last uh, two years ago when they were sophomores. And they came into, you know, they followed an era of, of a lot of success, and it was their chance. And on this weekend, uh, their sophomore year, we were sitting 10 and 10. Hmm. 
and we were looking at, okay, what direction are we going to go? Yeah. And uh, we ended up winning the last five games, ended up 15 and 10. And then the next year, uh, you know, was last year. And we made significant gains last yeah. year. And now it's their chance this year. And I like to think there's people on that bench who are going to step in and do the same thing next year. Yeah, you kind of hit at what I was going to get at eventually, but we'll get it to it now. Is is this team seems to have been building for a few years. I remember uh, maybe it was that sophomore year, I think even the freshman year, but definitely the sophomore year, people were like, oh, this is a really good Wash U team. They just haven't put it together. And I was sitting there going, man, this just seems weird. They're 10 and 10. Not, you know, I don't remember the last time I've seen a Wash U program at this point. But we knew the talent was there. It's just a matter of having it come together and the experience. And again, you have seven seniors on this team. And if it was going to come together, this is the perfect year to do it. Well, yeah, you would hope so. And I think that uh, it's, part of the, it's part of the expectations that we carried into the year. Uh, I think the big thing is that as a team learns, what happens is the roles of the kid, you know, all right, we need a basket. Who's going to get it for us? That type of thing. And as a team gets better and better, they don't worry about that so much. They play, and then the right person gets the right shot. Yeah. And the right person, somebody's going to step up. You know, we have six, like you said, six guys averaging in double figures. Yeah. Well, those six guys might not get double figures every night. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, the key element is how they are contributing in each particular game as that game goes on. Uh, right now, David Schmelter is just having a, a monster conference season for us, uh, where he's averaging like. Uh, I know. I think it's ten points and thirteen rebounds or something wow. uh, in the conference games, and he's just been a, a dominant force. Well, that's going to free up your outside shooting. I was going to. They have to concentrate on him, and this has kind of been our calling card. Uh, I remember you referred to that team in the in the uh, uh, the year we won the national championship. I remember in the semifinal game, uh, Aaron Thompson had thirty three mm-hmm. points and tied their set the. Three-point shooting for NCAA play. Yeah, and uh, the next night he had zero yeah. threes, yeah. and we won yeah. by a lot. And it just the you know I, I think it's how it evolves, how your team is set up, and the roles that the guys have to play on the team uh, that will help you determine what your success can be. Well, and that was the thing is that you go back to those teams in, in 2009, for example. By the way, you only had three players in double figures. You didn't have as much of a step off as you do with six players in double figures, which might make this team more dangerous. But you look at that team, and you had guys like uh, um, Tyler Nading um, and Aaron Thompson and Sean Wallace, different guys in different positions. You know, you had a guy inside who's going to have to be stopped. You had a guard who could either dish or go. You're going to have to stop him too. Oh, and by the way, there's a shooter outside, and there's some other complementary parts. There's too many parts, in other words, to be able to stop everybody. And it feels like this year's team is kind of evolving into that. You talk about... Um, David Schmelzer inside, he's averaging a double-double at 10 points and 10.7 rebounds a game this season. But you're also going to have to figure out how to stop Andrew Sanders at 17 points a game and, and Jack Nupp at 12 points a game, along with Jack Nolan and, and Kevin Cassera. And there's so many guys, you're forcing defenses to either pick their poison or deal with somehow stopping everyone. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think it's also important that uh... – all of those guys have, have developed and evolved at the same time. Yes. In other words, in the first semester, they were all they were all 
learning. There wasn't anybody you could really count on. Um, you know, some you know, your one night your outside shooting might be absent. The next night your rebounding might be absent, or you know what I mean. And, and I think that the, uh, all these guys are rounding into shape at the same time, which is you know that's good. Well, it's dangerous. Uh, it's it's making you guys look really darn good. We should point out, and it got pointed out to me off air, thankfully, uh, by our good friend Chris, that that the Mount St. Joseph game didn't even feature Sanders. Um, I think it was Sanders. Did he say Sanders? Yeah. Yeah, right. Sanders. He didn't even play in that game. And so clearly you could take that point differential and find the makeup in points if you want to. Um, but that's the thing is you're playing so well right now. You've dominated uh, somewhat Emory in back-to-back weekends. You played really well against Rochester in back-to-back weekends. You now head into the Brandeis, NYU, Case Western, and, and Carnegie Mellon run here before facing a, a tougher-than-they-look Chicago squad. How important is it to keep playing at the level you are or even better before we make the turn into March? Because I always worry at this time of season a team peaks too early. And I'm not saying you guys are peaking, but how hard is it to make sure you keep your foot on the accelerator without doing that? Well, you know, having coached for a number of years, the one thing I've learned is that you there's nothing that's predictable. And, you know, so you can't – there's no sure way to do it, but one of the things that I've I've kind of picked up on is you get a sense for how the kids mentally are going into games. Are they going in confident and anxious and anxious to play with each other, enjoy it, or are they going in afraid of losing and, and mm-hmm. hearing footsteps coming behind them? Championship teams learn how to how to turn that, that energy into a, something very positive. And, and when they walk on the floor, they're going out to win, not to keep from losing. And I think that this is – it's a very fine point, but it's, you know, every season you're, uh, a team with high expectations is going to face that, that crisis. Obviously, this past week you actually celebrated the previous national championships to some degree, Sean Wallace going into the Hall of Fame. And so that talk, I'm sure the comparisons to that team now – are much more front and center than maybe they had been in the past. You've got a nucleus here that if anyone wants to make some early predictions for Salem, certainly looks like the Bears could make that run. We know it all depends on the bracket. We know there's a whole other fa- a lot of things there. How do you keep the team focused on the on the task, though, and not get them distracted by comparisons to, to other WashU greats and the idea that, Maybe they're a favorite from for a lot of people to get to Salem. I mean, the number two ranking enough comes with distractions, I'm sure. Well, um, I think you know. Of course, that's all part of your team dynamics. Uh, one of the things that I did last week, for instance, is that um, everyone talks about our championship teams, and, and the, you know, obviously that was a tremendous accomplishment, and it was a great thrill and a wonderful memory, but. You forget about the other teams that we've had that have been very good and, and had a ball bounce out or somebody goes off on us or, you know what I mean, where we, you come up short. Because there's only one team that wins it all. Right. And uh, you can have some very good teams that, you know, just don't win it. They're still very good teams. They just didn't win it. And, you know, I, I've had a number of those over the years, like my team in 1996, uh, you know, they were poised for a run. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we came up short. We actually played it uh, in, in uh, Roanoke uh, before the Final Four and, uh, you know, came up short playing Illinois Wesleyan. 
Well, but that doesn't diminish what that team's greatness was within its within the context. They just didn't get the, the big thing. And so I showed I showed this team some highlight films of some of the great teams that we've had here, but they've got the potential to get it all, you know, and, and just like those teams did. And you have to you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. You have to seize every opportunity that comes, and that's what you learn when you when you go through that tournament. Talking to Mark Edwards here on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, head coach of the second-ranked WashU Bears. Coach, the other thing that jumps out at me about this team is how many high-scoring games you have had this season. There have been 90-plus point games in a lot. Uh, real quick count, one, two, three, four, five, eight games have been 90 or, or even 100 or more. That's, I, I've always known WashU to always be good on offense and a really solid defense, but I don't remember, and maybe I'm mistaken, I don't remember you guys being that explosive on offense. Is that a testament to the fact that you have six guys who on any given night could really go off? I think, I think, uh, I think that comes with the experience of playing together. You know, and they get going, and, the, and, and all five guys are involved in it. It's not just like one guy going off. It's all five guys. And I think the other element is the defense. Um, I, I've always felt, I even you know, that any good team has to has to have their their greatness or, or how good they are is reflected in their defense as well as offense. And you know, we're giving up. Uh, our opponents are shooting forty two percent. And I think that that's something that's really. Uh, indicative of our success is, is the fact that we stymie point opponents defensively to the point that um, it's creating offense for us. It's not necessarily steals. Right. It's bad shots that put us in good good positions for, for transition or for early execution of offense. So um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, especially experience. Up ahead, you got the Brandeis uh, NYU trip, so Boston to, sh- to New York coming up this coming weekend. Then you're home against Case Western Reserve and Carnegie Mellon. Then you got to head up to Chicago to finish everything off. What, what do you? What, what's your message to the team at this point? I assume it's about execution, but what are you trying to do to keep them focused on a each game and and b the the task at hand before we even get to to the end of February? Well, I you know. You had started our conversation earlier about talking the inc- about the inconsistencies in, in November, in December, mm-hmm. and I think that that in itself is enough of a conversation that we have with the team. That hey, remember, huh? It could be anybody. Uh, you know, you can take good teams and and uh, win by one or lose by one, or you can do the same thing with bad teams. There's, you know, it's like like uh, one of our coaches told them is there's no team in our schedule that can't beat us. Mm-hmm. And there's no team in our schedule that we can't beat. And it's just a matter of the framework that you're going to put it in and uh, with a week of practice before the games and, and mentally prepare before you walk on the court. Well, your team's a tremendous season, to say the least. Uh, we've even discussed, not that you care, uh, whether we, we should be switching our number one vote around. You guys are playing so well right now and really impressed. I would love to see you guys in Salem, but I know there is a lot of work between now and then, and I so, certainly will not make any uh, assumptions whatsoever. But congratulations on the season so far. Look forward to seeing how it finishes off, and uh, hopefully we're most likely another UAA title, and we'll see it where you go in March. But as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? 
Well, you know, I've, I've uh, had these conversations with you before, and, and you know how much I appreciate your coverage and what you do for Division Three. And I think that uh, the big thing with us is that uh, appreciate what we have, uh, you know, continue to share the passion of the game of basketball, and give it a value. Um, you know, sometimes it gets lost in the pro game, the Division One game, et cetera, but there is definitely – a value in Division Three athletics, and, and uh, I'm proud to be part of it. Well, congratulations. I know things are different at WashU without Nancy there, but you wouldn't notice on your floor. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, sir. I look forward to it. Maybe we'll talk about the Nancy Fay factor at another time. But congratulations. Good luck. I Again, I hope to see you down the road. I know we'll talk down the road. And thanks for taking the time on this Monday afternoon. You bet. Good All luck right. to you, Dave. Thank Bye-bye. you, sir. Mark Edwards joining us from WashU, the second-ranked Bears. Great little note to finish on. WashU was averaging a UAA best 85.8 per contest. That's 1,700-plus points in 20 games. And has topped the 100-point plateau three times in conference play. The Bears are on pace, the highest-scoring team in school history, which would break the mark of 85.3 set back in 94-95. This is a team that's been building for a few years, and I was critical, not critical, but I certainly was skeptical a few years ago about just how good this team could be. They are showing it now. They are worthy of their number two ranking. They're worthy of being in the conversation for number one right now over Whitman despite a loss. We can talk about that at the end of the show. But more importantly, they probably can be an early favorite at this point of a team that you'd expect to see in Salem. I don't expect a lot of teams in Salem because things are wide open. But if the WashU Bears continue to play the way they are right now, they've got to be on everybody's favorites list. They are darn good with six players and double figures. And they don't get in foul trouble. I think they're average, uh, some of their guys are only averaging, most of their guys are only averaging about two fouls a game. They don't get in foul trouble. So you don't lose one of those guys to foul trouble. That's what's fascinating about this team. Going to take another break. When we come back, we will continue talking men's basketball. Head out to the Northeast. Talk to Salem State. The Vikings playing pretty darn good basketball. And no one's talking about it. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More hoops after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum. It's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. It starts right when you hit the court. 
You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we roll along on this special Monday edition of the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Michael emails us to remind us that Heidelberg beat Baldwin Wallace and Marietta in their last four games, which is interesting considering those two teams beat Heidelberg uh, at Heidelberg's place, and Heidelberg got those wins on the road. Uh, they have John Carroll coming up at their place. Uh, let's, let's see. John Carroll beat Heidelberg by six in January. They will play uh, at John Carroll coming up on 214. By deduction, we might figure that John Carroll will beat, or well, Heidelberg would beat John Carroll, right? I don't think that's going to happen. Well, you never know what might happen. Uh, I have thanked Mike off air. He said, I can't imagine doing what you do without technical support or off air researchers. I will be blunt. We are getting to the point that I'm not sure how we do it either, and maybe we need to find some solutions. We might need some extra people to help us out. All right, so let's talk Northeast basketball. One team that's been on my top 25 radar and in and out of my top 25, I don't even remember where I have them this week, is the Salem State Vikings. Why are they in and out of my top 25? I'm just not sure what to make of them, and that's not a knock on them. Uh, 19 and three on the season. The three losses are to Williams when they had Scadlock, 80-68, and then MIT when they had their best player, 93-45, and Endicott because Endicott's been playing that role all year, 96-79. But since that Endicott loss in mid-December, it has been nothing but wins for the Vikings, who control the MassCAC pretty much easily by two games with three to play. They've almost wrapped everything up. They may be the team no one's talking about in the Northeast, and they may be better than advertised because they do not have a lot of close games, especially in conference play. Joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of the Salem State Vikings. It is Chris Harvey. Coach, thanks for taking the time, sir. Thanks for having us, Dave. Absolutely. Um, I know it's been a while since we've talked, and the MASCAC isn't, let's be honest, the sexiest race uh, in the country, let alone the Northeast. But you've got Bridgewater in there right now by two games, and then it's everybody else. Um what is, what is it to make of your resume, as it were? I'm a top 25 voter. I've been hemming and hawing about you guys. It looks good. It looks nice. But those losses also concern me. Are, what am I missing, maybe, that would help me understand what your team is like outside of what I see in wins and losses and stats? Well, you know, I, th- I, I, I think, you know, if we can go back to the MIT, if we can yeah. go back to the MIT game, you know, where we uh, absolutely got our doors blown off. You know, the, the thing that upset me most about that game, uh, and we talked about it at, at, at the end of the game, was two things. One, uh, we weren't engaged in the moment. Uh, 
you know, one of the cliche of we didn't get off the bus. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, and more importantly, I felt was we didn't embrace physicality on offense and defense. You know, we uh, were very passive. We were not trying to post people up, even to catch the ball in the wing. So some small things we really addressed. And we said, hey, if this season's, you know, is all, we're only going to be as good as those two things. Are we engaged in the moment or are our kids focused on the task at hand? And do we embrace physicality of basketball offensively and defensively since that moment we have? Mm. And that's been the big change for us, you know, to go into Tufts, beat Tufts at Tufts, uh, to beat Babson, defending national champion at Tufts in the New England Classic. The first time our school has won that in the nine years or ten years of, of its existence mm-hmm. uh, said a lot about our kids. And that's coming, you know, after the Thursday loss of Framingham. We rolled into Tufts uh, on Saturday afternoon and played well and then beat Babson on Sunday. And that was a stretch of three games in four days or five days. And then uh, from there, we've you know, we got it going a little bit. We got WPI out at WPI in overtime. I know it's not, you know, the WPI of maybe three years ago, but it's certainly an upper New Mac team. Um, and, you know, to get Clark, Colby, Bates, at Bates, uh, we're, we're signature wins. So I think we've got a senior-laden team. We've got upperclassmen playing a fair amount of the game, you know, that that are used to playing with each other, that uh, trust each other. Um, yeah, uh, so I think it starts there with, for our guys. Yeah, that get-off-the-bus thing is sometimes, I think, a bigger deal than people give it credit for. Um, and certainly that MIT game was a door blown off the sock. But again, you have two of those losses of teams now that look very different, so it's hard to gauge really right. and understand those because they've lost some key players, at least one of them for the season, and the other one we're not so sure. Um, yeah, but Scadlock had, Scadlock had yeah. 32 in that yeah, exactly. game, and he looked, he, he, he looked like <laughs> Carl Malone in that game. So, uh, you know, and he's a great kid. Uh, that, that I've gotten to know a little bit from uh, from from Coach App and in my uh, experience going up to the Williams tournament, so uh, it's a tough loss for them, but they've certainly righted the ship there. Yeah, and you kind of hit it. You kind of hit at where, where where I was going. There was he's such a difference maker on that team. The Mascac's hard to gauge because we don't know what to make. A lot of it isn't really on par right now. Um, what is the competition in conference brought to you guys at this point? Well, you know, the, the, it's uh, it starts with that it's a it's a Massachusetts State conference, so a lot right. of these kids know each other from the AAU circuit, uh, the high school circuit, and you know, an occasional prep school circuit and junior college circuit, quite frankly, as well. So, you know, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of um, a lot of familiarity uh, amongst the players. Uh, you know, it's a conference that's trying to figure out where they're at. Uh, and from an administration level, and I, you know, that's that's a topic and a conversation we could go on for hours about. In terms of, you know, we've got seven teams in the conference. Four guys are full time, uh, three are part time, and, and of the four that are full time, you know, we all have administrative roles, some greater than others, and you know, so it's a, it's a challenge. You know, our conference has tried to go out every year and play a competitive non-conference schedule, and. You know, it's tough. It's tough to have consistency when you're playing teams that have now full-time assistants, coaches that just coach for the most part of the day. And, 
you know, so we're up against it in a lot of respects, you know, and, and, and for me, you know, we're sitting here at 19 and three sweating it out that any, any loss, you know, could really damage, you know, a potential at large bid that may still exist uh, for us. And, and, and that's tough, you know, for, for us, we, we look at our body of work so far at 19 and three, 10, 10 and th- 10 and three non-conference with two of those three losses against teams that I believe are top, top 15, at least. Um, you know, and Endicott's very good, uh, just outside, you know, and they've got it going a little bit, uh, seem to haven't been able to get over the hump of Nichols this year, but you know, Endicott's going to be a tough outcome that tournament. Yeah. That's the other thing is you you guys right now, just looking at some unofficial SOS numbers, we'll, we'll make sure they line up on Wednesday when we get the numbers, but you guys are sitting with a 508 SOS and a 578 out of conference. So the the non-conference SOS is 578, and your comp your regular SOS is 508. It says a lot about what the Mascacs bring into the table. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you as you said, two and three against teams that are probably going to be in the conversation, or I should say, I'm sorry, one and two uh, in the conversation of those teams and the Williams and, and MITs and the like. So you're right. kind of in a mixed bag. And and of course, an extra loss might kill your at large chances. But you don't want to take it in the conference championship game either when you could lock up that AQ. How do you That's keep correct. the How do you keep the guys kind of focused on what is important and do you even bring up these kinds of, of topics in conversation um to add to their minds or to you know how do you how do you tackle all that is what i'm trying to get yeah at. you know i here we are at the day after the super bowl right yeah. with belichick i mean yeah. you know it's 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 it, it, it's coach speak here i mean honestly we've always and if you ask any of the guys we talk about going one and oh every night you know i mean we talk records mean nothing uh, you know, each night, every both teams are zero and zero. One's going to win, one's going to lose. So yeah. we've really maintained that type of approach uh, throughout the season, and quite frankly, since I've been here. But you know, in the back of my mind, when we're sitting in the office with the staff, and you're looking over things, and you're saying, you know, gosh, any any loss in this league could derail it. And you know, we all want to play in March for for yeah. multiple mul- multiple reasons. And you know, we feel like we're a team that can play in March and have success. Uh, we've done so in the past. Um, we've been competitive uh, each time we've been in the NCAA tournament. I think, with the exception maybe one 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 time with Rhode Island College a handful of years years ago. Um, but you know, it's we just try to go in every day, work on what we need to do. We're not a team that spends an enormous amount of time focused on what everybody else is doing. You know, we we've got good kids again, good leadership, good upperclassmen. We're skilled. We've got some depth in our league for sure. Uh, one of the deeper teams in our league, so we can, you know, we can roll out nine, ten guys and, and feel like we can compete with everybody else. It's five or six or seven. So, you know, um, but we know we, you know, we're in an area where you have the New Mac and the NESCAC, and you have some really strong private schools, and, and certainly the Little East Conference with Eastern Connecticut, Keene State, you know, um, holding their own for sure. So. You know, it's a lot for our guys. We we honestly just are focused on, on beating Bridgewater Wednesday night at Bridgewater. If we do that, we lock up the one seed in the conference tournament, um, you know, to buy ourselves a, a little bit of a cushion here. You know, they're 7-1. and one. Uh, They have, you know, they haven't seemed to be tested outside of our game. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it may very well be a two-team race um, uh, to that third week in February. You have a, a number of seniors. I think it was six or seven I counted on the roster. Right. Um, and two of them are leading the way. Uh, Shaquan Murray, 
16.3 points a game. Drew Healy, a double-double at 13.5 points and 10.5 rebounds a game. Uh, then it's a sophomore in Sean Bryan at third, a, a junior in Tariq McCauley at fourth, and I think another junior in Alex Santos at fifth, and scoring in Santos is a snare, or a snare, that's a made-up word, uh, a smidge under 10 points a game. Right. So you got five guys essentially there and two seniors leading the way. Nice mix because you got two seniors by leadership, though you have a lot of seniors, but it's those underclassmen, at least in the mix, too, that will keep the program clicking along. What's well, the heart and soul of this squad? Well, the heart and soul is a good point. There's Rayshaw Matthews, our senior point guard. He's got the body of John Bagley, um, and he is a, a floor leader uh, on both ends of the floor. He is our heart and soul. And that, I'm going to use your quote because that's how we describe him. You know, he's not going to he's not going to wow you on the stat sheet. Um, you know, he's not going to wow you percentage wise. Mm-hmm. But you know, I look at I look at a point guard in two factors: one, the the, the assist to turnover ratio and mm-hmm. wins and losses. Um, and he's been our point guard here for for the better half of two years, and you know seventeen and eleven last year, nineteen and three this year. You know, uh, if my quick math says that's thirty six and fourteen. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, with with the non conference schedule we play, he's a kid. You know, and Alex Santos could easily be a, a sixteen eighteen point a night guy, but we've asked him to guard the other team's best player every night. He, you know, and I truly believe he's one of the best two way players in New England. Um, you know, his shot, I think, has suffered some this year because of the, the uh, what we call the X, you know, where he's Xing out the other team's best player, best wing player every night. Um, you know, I think, it, I think it's, ham- you know, it's kind of hampered his offensive game a little bit. So, you know, we just keep giving him confidence and, and telling him to do what he does, and, you know, his shot will fall. And I think in the last week, in the last maybe week, two weeks, we've started to see a little uptick in his offensive game. Obviously, three games left. You want to keep these guys fresh to some degree. Do you start changing up how you do practice weeks at this point? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, 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 we at this point of the year, we've traditionally been an hour and a half, sometimes an hour and 15. You know, today we're, you know, with Bridgewater coming up, we're, we're going to be pretty pretty aggressive today with practice. Uh, we're very cognizant of of guys logging a lot of minutes. You know, we, we don't exactly have a lot of guys that uh, – uh, We've got a lot of guys that are on the frail side and the smaller side of things. Healy's six nine, you know, built like a uh, <laughs> truck. But you know, and McCauley's got a good athletic body on him. But everybody else is really, you know, kind of that, you know, long and lean. Sure. Um, you know, and that we've logged a lot of minutes with some upperclassmen. Certainly, as the games have gotten tighter uh, and a little bit more, um, I guess you'd call uh, significant. You know, we've. Early on in the year, we were rolling probably 10, 10 and a half guys a night. Now we're sort of in that eight, eight and a half, nine. You know, and if we get separation, of course, we get guys in there. Uh, that would be uh, pretty good uh, if you can get some extra guys in there and get some results. That's for sure. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on and talking about things and how you guys are doing. Um, it's a fascinating team. And I, again, I think a team that not a lot of people are talking about for whatever reason. Um, and, and you got a lot ahead of you. I mean, you kind of know your landscape. Uh, you can appreciate where you're where you're going, and I'm sure you're going to be looking at the Wednesday regional rankings uh, cra- rather inquisitively. Am I correct? <laughs> no, I, I I think so. You know, again, Dave, you know, for all you guys do at D3 hoops, and and for all you do for for Division three basketball, I should say. You know, I mean, we we truly believe we're a March team. You know, and I know that you know for our league and a lot of leagues across the country, you know, it comes down to a Saturday. Uh, in February or, you know, when, however the calendar falls, you know, we truly believe that, you know, we're capable of winning that. And, you know, if things don't shape up that way, I, you know, I, 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 
I think that we're going to be a hard team to leave off the board, you know, when it comes down to those potential at-large bids. I mean, these kids have put together, a, you know, a pretty good a pretty good to great year. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're winning games, I think that, that that has to carry some weight. And, you know, we've gone out, and like you had mentioned, our, our non-conference SOS uh, is really strong, I think. Uh, you know, when you look at us, uh, where I, th- I believe we're three and one versus the NESCAC, I think we're two and one versus the New Mac, and two and zero oh or three and zero, oh, something like that, against the, the Little East. You know, three of your traditional power conferences in New England. Uh, you know, I think we're seven and two, somewhere along those lines, against that conference. I'm not sure what else more we would have to do mm. uh, to be, you know, considered uh, one of the better teams in the Northeast. I'll be fascinated to see how it all plays out, uh, especially on Wednesday. That's when we kind of get a hint at, at, at you know, how a win-loss and SOS and all those stuff kind of go together, plus all the other data you were just rattling off. That's part of the process. So That's right. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Uh, good luck to your Vikings the rest of the way. I know uh, all you New Englanders are licking your wounds a little bit, but uh, I wish I could feel sorry for you. I can't. Yeah. It just it's not in me. Um, That's right. That's okay. We still love you. At least it was a good game. That's uh, right. Thanks for taking the time, especially on such a sour day. Uh, All right, <laughs> enjoy the it, rest. David. We always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? No, I just, I just again want to thank you guys for all you've done. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years at this level and, and only this level to see D3 hoops in its infancy and then to see where you guys are today with everything you do and the coverage for these student athletes is, is awesome. You know, these kids are following you on Twitter. They're following you know, all the teams across the country, and it's really grown. It's great to see, and it's just a great, uh, you know, brand of basketball for those people that, you know, maybe live in areas where it's a lot of D1 or certainly pro teams, you know, to come out and catch a good Division three game. It's pretty special. I agree with you, sir. I agree, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, Good luck. We'll talk soon, I'm quite sure. Awesome. Look forward to it, Dave. All right, take care, Coach. Bye-bye now. Chris Harvey joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. 19-3, 9-0 19-3, and 3, 9-0 and on the MassCAC, three games to play. They win at Bridgewater. They wrap up the regular season and control everybody's destiny through them in the conference tournament. However, they got to also improve or impress the regional committee. We'll find out on Wednesday at least where the regional committee is considering things. We'll then see the following Wednesday how they take in all the extra data that will finally become available as well. I'm not sure. We'll see. You know, this could be one of those things where they reward them for that win-loss. It could be one of those where they ding them for the SOS. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I would expect them probably right in the middle, though, of those regional rankings in the Northeast. Take another break. When we come back, we'll jump into the NABC Coaches Corner. Bill Fenland from DePaul uh, will join us, the mad scientist, as it were, in Division Three basketball. See what he thinks about... Um, not only his team, but more importantly, we'll talk about what he's involved with off the court. Fascinating things going along. We'll hopefully get him on the line here shortly. You've been listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com. From the WBCA and ABC studio, more Hoops will after this. I'm a Division Three student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I used to never really talk, ever. 
Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division III allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division III athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Sorry, tried to run a little extra break there as we got things situated for our next guest. It didn't want to work, and so we're just going to have to skip it. Gosh darn it all. I kid. Um, so where do you uh, where do you go here with this one? Uh, he, I, I call him, I think, the mad scientist or the mad coach on Twitter a little bit ago. Uh, he is certainly crazy, but in a good way. Um he says he sent it on to his kids. Uh, he is, he's one of those guys that a lot of coaches want to talk to, figure out what's going on, et cetera, et cetera, because he is uh, just that good at coaching. But he's also involved with a lot of other things, including um, stuff that they do off the court and what they get involved with. It is certainly important, and we wanted to talk more about him. So joining us in the NABC Coach's Corner is the head coach for the DePaul men's basketball via Skype, the City of Salem Hoopsville Skype hotline. It is Bill Fenlon. Sir, it is always great to see you on our broadcast, though I know you can't see me. Thanks. I can, I can, there's a little like uh, icon picture of you. So, yes, I, it's a really great pick, isn't it? Moving or anything, but I can, I yeah, can you can imagine I'm there. Good, um, first good to be off, with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I really do appreciate it. Happy to um, do it. When we talk about some of the, the strategy of, of basketball, your name is on the short list, and I can't tell you how many times already this year 
you have come on. This is the reason we had you on, but one of the reasons we love talking to you about it is the whole, all right, you're up three with a certain amount of time on the clock. Do you foul the other team to keep them from tying the game? You're an advocate for that under nine seconds, I think it is, and there was a game we saw recently that they sh- we talked about it. They should have done it. They didn't. We got a thriller of a shot. It tied the game and sent it to overtime, but you're, you're a huge advocate for that plan, are you not? I am. Uh, my my number is seven seconds, but okay, uh, seven, got it. I think that that uh, you know, I think I believe I sent you the thing that we wrote quite a few years ago, and when we we kind of uh, trial and errored it because I had to get punched in the face that way, <laughs> um, get you know, getting tied at the end of the game with a three pointer and then losing a game in overtime, it was the third time that I sort of woke up and said, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I need to think about this a little bit. And, um, I actually had the luxury of some time and some people that know what they're doing with math and, and was able to sit down and kind of, uh, get my thoughts straight through writing a fairly lengthy paper with the help of a, uh, a math professor here at DePaul to try to get the probabilities right and those kinds of things. And when you, you know, there's a lot of things that you do in, in basketball and in, in coaching in general that are, that are gut based. Um, and that I think is sort of a coaches at that time, it's changed a little bit. We're sort of seeing that as a gut based decision. And once it becomes a numbers based decision, I think it becomes a really easy decision to make. And, and uh, it's really hard to argue with the numbers. Um, I think you got to follow in that situation. But people weren't doing it much back then. And that was probably, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Now you see it happening a lot more. It's not happening enough, as we joked uh, at the one broadcast we had. Um, but it's amazing because I've seen you uh, hold court with coaches, and no matter how much you know these coaches, how much they know you, and how much we've had this conversation in and out, you continue to have that conversation. And and we won't go too much into it because it's a topic for another time, and I'd love to talk about other things. But uh, it is certainly a fascinating one that I, I'm surprised – um, maybe isn't as slammed. I think for for a lot, and maybe you can t- testify to this. For a lot of coaches, that's a that's a scary proposition to run. Well, the scare what scares guys is the they don't know the numbers, so yeah. that's why it's, it's easy to get scared. I mean, it it isn't a slam dunk, foolproof, you know, without a doubt answer to that situation. Um, but you know, it's kind of like when there's a technical foul, do you have your do you have your 40 percent free throw shooter shoot the free throws or your 90 percent free throw shooters? It, it's sort of that simple. Now, your 90 percent guy could miss and your 40 percent guy can make. But, you know, you really have to kind of go with the I think you really have to go with the, the numbers on it. But guys are get guys get a little bit. Uh, jumpy about the possibility there is a possibility in that scenario that you could lose there's a couple possibilities you could lose you know you go in and you you foul you foul intentionally the guy makes the first one he misses the second one it gets tipped out they hit a three you lose by one Um, that's about the way we worked it out that's I think I I don't have it in front of me that was that's about one in 850 chance that that's going to happen you know, and and it's a one in five chance that if you don't foul, uh, they're going to make a three and tie you and put you in overtime. Yeah, it, I mean the risk is you go to overtime <laughs> and you lose there too. I mean there's a lot, there's a risk you're going to lose this game no matter how you do this, no matter 
six ways to Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it, it, take care to leave that, it. That, that risk was there when they threw the ball up at the beginning of the yes, game. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're scared of risk, don't even be coaching. Yeah, it's not, not a good business. Not a hey, good business to be in. So one of the interesting topics that I that I, I think I knew about, but I honestly didn't know enough about uh, when it came to your program was a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. Um and what you do, in a sense, to drive um, your players to be better and everybody at DePaul for some reason, or not some reason, some way to be better, and maybe others. And one of the things that you guys, that you're very much involved in, is the Peace Players. Uh, is it Peace Players Games, I believe? Uh, or Peace Players International at the very much, at the least. Hard for me to describe it. I, I'd rather hear from you on what this is. It's an international effort, is it not? Well, we, we've, uh, you know... Ha- Trying to get our guys to maximize um, their experience on and off the court has always been a really important uh, thing to me. So it it kind of all started that way. And um, we have a winter term here. So you know what that is. It's yep. kind of a, 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 about a three, three and a half week segment between uh, the first semester and the second semester. And there's all kinds of things going on during that winter term. So students can take a, a, a class on campus. They can uh, do research with a professor. They can do an externship. They can jump on a trip with a faculty member. And it's not something that we've really sold to basketball players because, uh, you know, you can't go on a mission trip to Honduras and be back for practice every day. Right. It, it just doesn't work. So, you know, I think when all the people around you are doing stuff like that. I think, you know, the guys feel like they're making some sacrifices to play. And in some ways they, they are, I think they're, they're gaining from that as well. But, uh, about seven years ago, six and a half years ago, um, a, uh, I was approached by uh, someone in that office about maybe getting involved with this organization called peace players international. And, and, um, I'll try to give you the, the short version, but Peace Players is a, an international service organization, and they're they're based in four um, parts of the world that are in conflict. So they are in South Africa, they are in um, the Middle East, they're in Cyprus, and they're in Northern Ireland. Um, and in a nutshell, their work is um, based around um, taking kids from the two groups that happen to be in conflict. So um, we happen to be affiliated with the the Northern Ireland group. So it's Catholic and Protestant kids in, mm. in Northern Ireland. Um, and they just put them on the same basketball teams. So it seems like a pretty simple idea. And the idea is that, uh, you know, if you can play together and you can try to win a game together and you can practice together, there's probably a better chance that you can recognize that you have a lot more in common uh, than not. And you can learn how to live together a little bit better. So, you know, we've had an unbelievable experience in in Northern Ireland working with with the organization. I think um, the conflict there. So when I was the age of our players, uh, the things that you read about and see online and those kinds of things, stuff on the news, you know, all the 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 bombings and the assassinations and the things that come from conflict around the world. Um, in Northern Ireland, the same thing was going on in the in the 70s and 80s. Um, and that's what I would see when I'd come home and watch the watch the news. So it's still very tense there. So you could be a you could be a 10 year old kid in Belfast. And if you were Catholic, uh, you could live 200 feet from a 10 year old Protestant kid and um, uh, definitely not go to the same schools. 
You don't play on any of the same teams. You don't wait at the same bus stops. There's a good chance you even haven't you haven't even met each other. There may be a 30 foot metal or brick wall that separates your neighborhoods. Hmm. And these kids grow up that way. And um, being involved in this program just starts to break those barriers down. And our students, you know, they kind of come in. We've had a lot of it's not just for basketball players, but we've had close to 30 players do it over the last uh, four years. And, and um, you know, they start to learn about they learn about the history of that conflict, but they also start to understand, you know, what the conflicts, you know, that are that are that are going on in the rest of the world are based on. And it really is like, you know, religion, politics, people that live across the street from each other who can't seem to figure out how to get along. And I think it's it's really, really eye opening for our kids to be involved in a program like that. We're really grateful that we get the opportunity to do it. I'm sure it's eye opening for your your students. I'm sure it's eye opening for those students. Uh, we've heard of similar programs. Kenny Doss talked about a similar program in Chicago in in the Inglewood community that he's running as a senior or that his father and uncle have been running. It's amazing how that is a nice role for sport. We always know sport can bring people together. We see it after tragedy, but in a different way of bringing fans together and giving a distraction. This is interesting how you kind of bring communities together and kind of break through the nonsense, as it were, of, of, of bad stories and bad points of view that don't have anything to do with one another. Well, when you, when you, uh, when you see it, you know, firsthand, you know, on one level, it's kind of like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't, we can't figure this out. Yeah, and there, yeah. You could, you could say that just about anything that's, that's going on in the world. And it, and it takes good people like this who, you know, commit all this time and energy and, and, and passion to trying to figure it out um, that, that really can make the world a better place. You know, the first time I went over, this is something that I, I tell people a lot because I find it uh, really interesting. Um, one of the things that we do now uh, is we raise some money before we go and we sponsor the, the Peace Players Northern Ireland's kind of year end event. You know, and and so DePaul's names on the T-shirts and, you know, it's a really big deal. So you think about a a uh, a kind of an AAU tournament or, you know, something like that. So it's a big tournament, probably 150 to 200 kids from all over Belfast. And uh, they're different age groups and they're 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 banging away all day long. And their tournaments are a lot different than ours. It's like this thunderous techno music all day long. Everybody's <laughs> dancing, going crazy. But the first time I went, uh, the thing that struck me the most was that if there was an event like that here, uh, almost anywhere in the U.S., you'd probably have as many parents there as you mm -hmm. have. Um, the the first time I went to this event, I counted five total parents in the gym. Wow. And um, and it really struck me because, it, you know, you just weren't seeing them. They weren't they weren't around. And and the guy that I work with, Gareth Harper, uh, explained it to me. And he just said, you know, the reason is they know they want it to be different for their kids but they can't sign off on it for themselves. They don't want to come in and sit. If they're Protestant, they don't want to sit next to this Catholic family. If they're Catholic, they don't want to sit next to this Protestant family. Like they, like they realize it has to change, but the change is starting with their children. It's not really starting mm. with them because they're, they, they see themselves as, as too far gone. It's, it's, 
it's really interesting work. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, when you do stuff like that, you, you come away with an incredible admiration for the people who do the work. I couldn't agree more. I spent some time in Europe myself, some time in, across the country in a year where, where we went into situations similar where you're trying to bring people together then and it makes no sense and yeah parents sometimes are well you know what we we, we see in this country a lot we don't need to dive into it too uh, much but definitely yeah i agree with you entirely um another thing that's very interesting too uh is that your alumni have come together to try and keep encouraging the men's basketball program to be able to travel to international options like this uh, and play sports and at the same time get an opportunity to go around the country and play a little bit more basketball if possible they came together and created the William J. Fenlon Endowed Fund for Men's Basketball Travel. Um, there's a lot of things going on here to unpack about it, for starters. But for but the one I want to focus on, sir, is that these alumni thought so much of what you do, that they named it after you in perpetuity. Well, you know, you've met me. Yes. It does where are we you know, going with this? <laughs> it takes it takes a lot to kind of make me speechless, and and uh, that was a moment that it, that occurred last year. Last year was my um, my twenty fifth year here at DePaul, and um, you know we've had a, a a lot of great guys go through the program. We've been lucky enough to have uh, quite a bit of success during my time here. And, and, you know, success gets measured in a lot of ways. We've been fortunate enough to win a lot of games, but we've also uh, been able to be connected to a lot of really great people who are out in the world now doing terrific things. So, um, you know, the guys, it's your 25th year, you hear mumbling and guys are talking and I thought, okay, they're going to they're going to give me a gift certificate for Outback Steakhouse or <laughs> something like that. And, and uh, we have an alumni game annually where we bring bring guys back and we all tell stories and the guys play a little bit and we go out and have some fun. And and uh, on that date, they uh, they presented uh, the program really with uh, with an endowed fund and um, for the that will go to international travel for men's basketball players uh, forever and put close to a half a million dollars in the fund. So the, the, the idea is that we'll be, once that fund matures, we'll be able to use the interest that it spins off. So every kid who plays in the program is going to have an opportunity to, to go on an amazing, fully funded, fully funded trip. And, you know, the players, I think, recognize that, the whole deal is really important to me, not just the winning and losing basketball game part of it. Um, you know, they honored that part of it with that gift, which, you know, really kind of threw me for a loop at the time. And when I think about it now, it still still gets me a little bit. Um, but I think it also tell, it just says two things about being a basketball player at DePaul. I, I think that uh, the guys really va valued the experience that they had here on and off the floor. Um, academically, athletically, socially, the whole deal. Um, so that's one thing, you know. And then the second thing is you can value it all you want, but, you know, they were in position to do something about it. You know, they were in position to say, hey, you know what, this matters to me. It's important to me. And I'm successful enough that I can I can write a check on behalf of it. And I want to, you know, and that part of it, I think, uh is the thing that means the most to me um, that these guys are 
they're making it in life and they're also willing to give back and they want the guys who are sitting in their seats and and walking in their shoes right now to have a to have the same sort of experience that they've had and maybe even a better one so uh to, to me, that's what that whole thing was all about, and and uh, I'm really proud to be a part of it. Yeah, we should point out when when these trips take place to either international sites. Every was it three years that you're allowed to go to an international and play, or somewhere else. You know, a lot of times it's it's fundraising efforts uh, or it's money that the students have to pay because it's outside your operating budget that you may have. You can't always go on trips. Um, so it's incredible that they are putting something in place that's going to remove a lot of that. I don't want to say it'll remove all of it because every scenario is different. And maybe this, the you guys as a whole would want to fundraise on your own anyway for additional opportunities or something. But I am going to start penciling you in for the D3Hoops.com Classic in Las Vegas. <laughs> I think we'll pencil you in for some other trips now that we know it's that we can get you did, out of uh, Greencastle. Did Las Vegas secede from the Union? What you say? Did Las Vegas secede from the Union at some point? Because this is an international travel fund. Oh, I know. <laughs> we have an international flair to it. We'd like to come out and play in Vegas, though. We have an international flair to it. I'm just going to pencil you in now. Yeah, man. And you never know. We might move it to an international location just to draw you out. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> no, I do realize that an international point of view to it. I, I totally kid. Um and that's what's great about it is because of what we talked about earlier, the peace players and all that, um, this gives a really great opportunity to student athletes uh, under your name, even after you leave, because at some point you're going to have to leave, Coach. I, I hate to break the good, bad news. I'm going to have to leave at some point, too. You haven't heard anything, have you? No, I haven't heard a thing. I'm just, and I'm trying to hang in there right now. but <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Hey, quickly about your team. Uh, probably not the best season that you would love to be talking about right now, and I totally get that. Um, but the NCAC race is certainly fascinating. You guys are nine and twelve, five and nine, in the thick of it, um, as it were. Fascinating race between Wittenberg, Worcester, Ohio Wesleyan right now with a few other, a few other players. Uh, a wrap of the season in, in in so many words, if you possibly can. Well, we we uh, we just got two good wins this weekend, and um, I think we've had a we've had an extremely difficult schedule. Um, uh, which included on the front end and the back end of the conference tournament or the conference schedule uh, playing Wit, Worcester, and Ohio Wesleyan back to back to back. So we opened the season that way. We opened the second part of the season that way, and that's just a that's just a little bit of a, a baton death march to a degree um, in our league, especially this year. You know, I'm on the I'm on the regional rack uh, committee. Um, and you know, those are three of the top nine teams in the, in the region right now. So that that's made it a little bit tough, not just for us, but for, for everybody in our league, but we're having a, we're, we're having a, an interesting year in that we've got a really big freshman class and a really, a pretty big senior class. And so, you know, we're doing that dance where we're trying to utilize the experience of our, of our younger guy, of our older guys and kind of mix in some of the new talent of our of our younger guys that I, I really like a lot. And the thing that's been the best thing about our year is how good those guys have been with each other. We, you know, you sometimes those sorts of things can go sideways a little bit. Um, and that hasn't happened, you know, knock on wood with our, our group at all. So, you know, I think our, our seniors are going to be able to feel good about 
Um, walking out the door, we talked about trying to be playing our best basketball in February, and I think we're approaching that right now. So, you know, we're, we're going to try to do some damage here in the next couple of weeks. But I think when those guys leave, they're going to be able to feel really good about how they left the program and, and uh, what they helped the younger guys figure out. And, and I think that we're going to be uh, – I think the future's bright in the next couple of years with, with the younger guys that we have in the program. Well, congratulations on what that could become. Uh, at the same time, congratulations on what everything you do behind the scenes. Uh, you're a testament to the YD3 point of view, to be sure. And I think the uh, the fund is a great example of your impact. Before we go, though, we got some quick questions. Part of the NABC Coaches Corner. We have trimmed these down a little bit um, versus our usual eight or nine. We've trimmed them down to about four or five. If you got some time, real quick sure. uh, thoughts off the top of your head. They're They're not that complex, I promise you. Okay. All right. So the best part, of, the best part of voting. Yeah, no, this could be interesting. Best part of coaching in Division Three. Uh, the relationships. It, it's a relationship business, and um, the opportunity to you know you don't have any one and done guys. You can you can kind of uh, you can kind of count not count on seeing guys for four straight years almost on a daily basis, and you get you get to know them. Um, you get they get to know you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you can really create a little bit of a, a family type of relationship. And to me, that's really what it's all about. I've coached in a lot of games. I've, I've uh, won a few and, and lost a few. But um, the thing that keeps me coming back every night or, or every day into the office is uh, seeing what you can do to help those guys grow a little bit, learn a little bit more about themselves, other people and their place in the world. And that's, that's the fun for me. That's awesome. Uh, if you have any pet peeves, what might your biggest be as a coach? Uh, pet peeves. Um, I would say uh, complicating the rules as much as we do every single year. <laughs> well, uh, this is going to get to an interesting. Would you like to talk about, would you like to talk about the cylinder? Uh. A little bit? We could talk about the <laughs> cylinder. We can, there's, you know, I, I mean, we just want to make it way harder than it needs to be. Uh, I thought we were a basketball show. We we're not talking about the NFL. Um, no, we have the cylinder, Dave. You know that. Right? Oh, I know we have the cylinder. Yeah. No, You're cracking me up because the next question is, um, <clears throat> what rule would you like to see changed or removed? <laughs> well, I'm not, as you can tell, I'm not fond of the cylinder. I don't. No. Really, I don't really understand it. Uh, <laughs> it's a the, it's a it's a circular thing. <laughs> The one thing that I don't that I that that really drives me crazy though is the whole uh, the whole displacing guys in the post. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm if I'm between you and the basket and you lower your shoulder and bang me backwards, I've got to either give or fall down, mm -hmm. right? I don't get I don't you never see a call um, made of a guy who displaces a guy no basketball move, just moves them backwards. And if the guy falls down, you might get a call. But if he falls down and there's no call, the guy's just going to lay it in. And I, and I think that's been, you know, we have not figured out how to officiate that. And because of that, we haven't figured out how to coach that. And I think it's, it's you know, it just continues to be this, like, weird ongoing argument every single night. You know, guys are... I, I knock you back, I knock you back, I knock you back, and then I score it. Interesting, know? because I saw a game on Saturday where the big guy raised his arm 
and was displacing the guy. He didn't fall, and they called it. So they should. May, I agree with you. They should, but maybe they don't. The, maybe this is coming now that we've got an overall official guy. There's an out. They, maybe we can solve this for you. Somewhere, everywhere, but I, I don't see it too much. I, I agree with you. I've, I've not seen it, too. I agree with you. I just found it interesting. I did see it on Saturday. Um, I should have probably taken more note of it. Um, what can you say to an official that you know will get your message across, dances with the line of maybe going too far, but will not earn you a technical? Well, you'd have to ask my assistant, Brad Nadborn, about that. He, he's <laughs> I forgot the guy, Brad was on your staff. He's the guy who's been, you know, training me to to work a little better with the uh, oh, with Brad, the officials. Brad. Well, I, you know, I'm I've always kind of gone at it from this sort of uh, dry, you know, borderline sarcastic sort of thing that I do, and and it. it some guys don't get me, you know, that's sort of like real life too. Uh, some guys get me, some guys don't. And the guys that, that, that get me, I can usually, I, I can usually needle them a little bit, ask them the obvious questions, those kinds of things. And, 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 and then the guys who don't are usually going to turn around and ring me up. So, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I got you. Uh, tell Brad, we said hello, by the way, we miss Brad. Um, hello. And finally, when you retire, because let's be honest, all good coaches, all coaches eventually will this retire. Is the, hey, by the way, this is the second time you've brought this up. <laughs> it's, it's just okay. I ask it of everybody, sir. Uh, I don't right. know. I don't know a thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not having our best year, but we're okay. We're going to be all right. <laughs> hey, you're the one who hired Brad. Uh, <laughs> um, when you do, what do you hope people will remember you as a coach? Um. You know, I, 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 I'd like to think that they, um, the, the guys I care about are the players, you know, sure. I and, mean, you know, other, other people's opinions are really kind of based on what they see more than, or what they think they see more than what they actually know. You know, uh, my hope is that the players think of me and, you know, and some guys walking out the door, you know, might have a different opinion of me 10 years down the road than they do on their way out the door. And I get that. And that, and that happens all the time. Um, but I think what I'd like them to think about me is, um, someone that they could trust number one and someone that had, that always had their best interest at heart. You know, I think that's the really tough thing for coaches. Um, because it's impossible for us to give people what they want when they want it. You know, I think the trick is trying to help guys understand that whether they're getting it exactly the way they want it or not, if they're smart enough and they're, and they're aware enough and they can, there, there's always something to learn. Mm -hmm. you know, there's always something that's going to help them be better, not only now as a player, or as a person, but, but it's, it's skill building. It's, it's, it's about, you know, developing tools that you put in your bag and you take that bag out into the world and then you pull those tools out and you apply them to everything that you're going to, that you can possibly do. And I, I want the guys leaving here to think or, or to know that that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to get them prepared for not just winning a basketball game, but, but trying to be really good at whatever it is they happen to be involved in later. Well, sir, thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it, as always. Congratulations on the uh, endowment, but at the same time, congratulations on the work you do. 
uh, especially internationally and with the students um, to see the world in a different way and even see the wor- have the world see itself in a different way. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season. I hope I get to see you in Salem this year, sir. No pressure. We're talking. Oh, good. Good. We're, to- we're in talks right now. I, awesome. Perfect. It's mainly, uh, as always, we give the coach. It's mainly talks with my wife. Yeah, I know. Oh, I knew exactly <laughs> what you were talking about. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, thanks, Dave. I, 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 you know, I really appreciate all the work that you, that you do on our behalf. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky to have, uh, the sort of, uh, support that, that you've given us over the years. And, you know, I, I guess you must have retirement on the mind because you keep bringing it up, but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I hope that's not gonna, I hope that's not gonna happen to you too soon. I'm no. guessing I'm going to go well before, well before you do, but thank, thanks for thinking about us. Thanks for, uh, for giving me an opportunity to kind of talk about this and, and help people uh, understand that a little bit. W- one thing I will add about the the Peace Players operation is they just partnered with Nike uh, in the last 18 months and now are beginning programs uh, domestically. So nice. they are they have a presence now in in uh, in Baltimore, in D.C., in Brooklyn and Detroit. Um, and we actually have one of our students who who uh, went uh, on the trip with us, who is uh, is in the process of of uh, interviewing to be a, an international fellow with them, which would be a two year commitment working for the organization. So, you know, there's lots of ways that people, you know, current players, folks that have an interest in 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 that sort of work can can get involved, not just with peace players, but obviously other other organizations that are that are doing good in in communities as well and i would encourage folks to to try to do that well said sir i see uh i just looked up the baltimore one very nice uh i appreciate you taking the time good luck i i will see you in salem wife please let him go and uh we'll talk soon (laughs) okay man take care take care he is bill bill fenland from the paul part of the nabc coaches corner can talk to bill forever and hopefully i can over a few beers in in salem and we've got to get going. Kings women's basketball in Trinity, Texas women's basketball still to come. You're watching Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. More Hoops still after this. I'm a Division Three student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I'm a Division Three student athlete and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. 
We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Welcome back to Hoopsville. I am so excited to be here. I am uh, Fred Richter, the women's basketball coach at DeSales University and a longtime member of the WBCA. I hope you're enjoying the show, and let's get back to Dave. Thanks, Coach Richter. I'm Dave McHugh. Welcome back to Hoopsville here on a Monday afternoon, Super Monday we're calling it. you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoops so lots of ways to interact with us we're a bit behind schedule so we're going to keep things moving here going to join in again via skype we're switching into women's basketball if you haven't been paying attention attention to the mac freedom race it's an actually a rather interesting race right now after you florm who we talked a lot about is on top of the conference but they're tied with kings who was 5 and 19 last season 12 and 13 the year before they haven't had an above winning uh above 500 winning percentage since 2013 when they were 21 and 6. However, they are 13 and 8 overall. They are clicking right along despite a tough stretch in uh earlier in January. And they've got some big games including FDU Florham ahead of them. Joining us on the City of Salem Skype hotline. It is the head coach of the aforementioned King uh Kings Monarchs. It is coach Haja Mahalis from Kings. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Yes, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Crush Absolutely. the Hajimahalis, by the way. What'd you say? I said you crushed the Hajimahalis, yes. by the way. Thank you. I can get it once in a blue moon. <laughs> I promise you we'll screw it up at the end of the show. That's um, fine. <laughs> first and foremost, I, I had a few voices in my head in preseason and in the offseason that said, hey, 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 you've got to watch Kings this season. And I'll be honest, I didn't do a good enough job early on. That's all right. Um, I, I, maybe the three-game losing stretch in December didn't help me. Um, no, nope, didn't help us either. <laughs> yeah, true. I lost to Scranton in the second game of the season, lost to Susquehanna in the fifth game of the season, and then games 8, 9, and 10 were Albright, Catholic, and Vassar. Now, most of those, okay. We yeah. understand you're getting better, but you're not up at their level yet. But then like coming Florham and FDU and, and Misericordia tripped you up in a four-game stretch, and I really got a little worried. But then yes. I started watching the conference, and I watched after you, Florham struggling, and I realized, no, Kings is putting this together. We're just not seeing it in the same light everybody else is seeing it. Right. What's yeah, been no, the key? Yeah, no, we were trying to get everything going, and it's taken some time, but we're starting to start firing the right way now. Yeah, you're on a five-game winning streak. Wilkes to sales, Manhattanville, you got the return on them in overtime. Dell Valley and Eastern. Of course, you still have ahead 
Misericordia, DeSales, Wilkes, and FDU Florham. But three of those four will be at home, which will yes. be huge. What, though, has been working for this team that, that people maybe not can't put fully together? I think what we when we've been playing our best, we've been having our defense lead into our offense. Those days that we tripped up, it's we gave up something defensively. Um, we shouldn't have given up as much as we did. So especially recently in the points when we've been down the last couple of games and been able to come back and win, it's when we finally lock in on defense and let that fuel our offense and kind of create our energy. So I think that's something that's not going as noticed, but that's the main focus from our coaching staff right now. And if memory serves, you have a few transfers or at least one key transfer that kind of has helped reshape this team a little bit. Yes, yeah. We had uh, three transfers come in this year. Uh, the big one was Mackenzie Yorai. She transferred in point guard and filled that uh, role immediately and is doing a phenomenal job of it. Um, then we also had Lindsay Dippery from Lackawanna College up in Scranton, um, the junior college up there. And she came in and has been a huge spark for us coming off of the bench. And the third transfer was Amber Farnholtz uh, transferred in. She's in her last year of eligibility, but she's just been a great, great practice player, brings a lot of energy. And the fact that she has that experience and is a senior she's been able to really kind of move along practices very well has that been the biggest reason for this turnaround is these transfers and what they bring to the table or has this also been building for a little bit of time that the transfers just kind of were the uh, the next evolution as it were to everything i think the transfers were the tipping point i think last year we had this potential but with all the injuries that we had it really did um, a number on our confidence. So I think uh, with Mac and Lindsay and Amber coming in, they were able to really just be that spark and that fresh energy. And when they came in, they realized what we did have here. I mean, with just our post play with uh, Olivia Hoffman and Rebecca Prochak and Alexis Steber, now that they had um, some consistent experience at the guard level, whereas last year our experience was hurt, um, I think it really has just kind of pushed us over the edge right now. It's an interesting makeup of a squad in what a conference that has been dominated in recent years by FDU Florham, but that tide started to change a little bit in the last couple of years. They're starting to get a little bit more competition. Del Val has certainly made it an interesting time. Del, Del Sales has done this well, though those two have been off the pace this year. Is this conference a little bit more competitive? And the fact that FDU Florham shown some kinks in the armor as it were kind of give everybody a new hope that you know what they are beatable and we can play in this conference oh absolutely i think there's been a lot of um any given night somebody could beat somebody as cliche as it sounds i mean <laughs> manhattan will start it off the year hot and then when they pick off fdu up at their place and then they're able to pick off to sales up at their place it just seems like home teams have been winning a lot so the fact that we've got four of our last five at home is really a good boost for us and the fact that we've been close in every conference game other than the Misericordia game, um, I think that really gets us feeling pretty good going into the end of season. And to know that, hey, we can hang in these games, and not only can are we hanging, we belong. We're in that spot now with that confidence. And any given night in our conference, it's it's been a toss-up. Yeah, well, it, it has been more interesting to watch than we've seen in a long time. Um, Rebecca Pro Procreic, do I say it right? Uh, Prochak. Prochak. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, leading the team oh, at yeah. thir 13 plus a game. Uh, Alexis Steber, 12 plus a game is second. Yori McKenzie, or McKenzie Yori, I apologize, did that backwards. As we mentioned, the transfer, 11 plus points a game. Olivia Hoffman at eight plus points a game. It's that core of four, at least in the scoring department. Uh, rebounding also, it's it's Hoffman and Prochak at, at eight plus. But there, I know there's more going on than what those stats detail. How has the chemistry come together and what could 
this team do in the next X amount of time of the season? Sure. I, I think the fact that we do have those four who can score and go off at any point in the night makes us hard to defend because if you take away one thing, in theory, you've got three others that could step up immediately um, and fill that void. And we've just got to be keen to that on, on game day and make adjustments based on who's doing well. I mean, Alexis Steber has really just stepped up her game from her sophomore year to her junior year. She's always been athletic as all heck, but now she's starting to really want the ball in those scoring situations and is really able to turn it on um, when, say, maybe Becca's not having an on night or Olivia's not getting the touches in the post that we'd like. And now that you had um, Mac in there to be a consistent perimeter threat, it really gives us a bunch of different options on, on how we want to play each night. But I think what goes unnoticed for sure is, I mean, our fifth starter is Kayla Dillinger. If you look at her stat line, it's nothing impressive, but she comes from St. Rose, which is a great, great high school program in New Jersey. She just knows how to play. She gets in the right spots. She rarely makes mistakes for us, and she just knows how to feed the post and get the ball to the hot hand. And on defense, she's, she gets where she's supposed to go consistently. So I think she's been the unsung hero in terms of being able to keep our, our presence and our consistency on both ends of the floor. And then you add in coming off of the bench, um, Lindsay Dippery, that transfer we talked about earlier. I mean, she's she's close to averaging like two charges a night. And I really wish the NCAA would change that stat where you get some type of credit for taking a charge, even if it just turns into a steal. Because, I mean, that kid had seven charges in one night against FDU. So she's really able to switch the game in terms of energy or being that spark off the bench. And she's good for a couple of um, made shots here and there, and uh, as well as with our backup point guard, Rachel DeTore. She's um, took a year off last Last year came back this year and her just leadership ability and her ability to communicate to her teammates and get everybody on the same page has really been a game changer in the locker room for us. Might be complicated, but add a, a forced turnover category. It doesn't have to necessarily be a steal. Um, right, yes. Yeah, you could force somebody into a pass that your teammate steals, maybe. Right. Though I'm probably got some SIDs looking at me going, dude, I've got enough yeah. that I gotta Exactly. How do you throw that on a live stats? Now you're adding forced turnovers to my head. Um Mr. Accordia up next, as we said, sales on the road then, then Wilkes at home, and then you wrap up with FDU Florham. And I know, I know, I know, you're not looking past Mr. Accordia. I've been doing <laughs> this show long enough to know what the coach is about <laughs> to say. However, sure. that last game against FDU Florham, everything holding serve, as it were, is almost a mini uh, or an early conference title game. Oh, it's going to be, an, no matter whatever happens up until that point, it's going to be an energetic time in in our Scanlon Gymnasium up here. I mean, it could come down, like you said, if everything holds out to figuring out who gets to host throughout. It could come down to um, who else is going anywhere else in the conference based on those other three games, how they shake out. And it's always a, a fun matchup when uh, FDU comes in the building just with their style of play versus our style of play. I mean, it could be a very high-energy game, um, and it's something that, We've been starting to get a little more environment in our gym, so I'm excited for our fan base to have a, a game like that in this building. So I'm really looking forward to it. You may have graduated from Marywood, but you, you tend to bleed Monarch blood. Uh, you were an assistant coach for, was it seven years prior to taking yes. over when Coach Donahue left the program back in the summer of 2016. And, it, and it's really become your baby to some degree, but to some, I mean, being an assistant, it, it really had already gone that way. What does it mean to be now leading this program and helping with the turnaround uh, after what was a pretty good successful run with under Coach Donahue? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been just a really cool experience for me to try to 
put my own stamp on it. I mean, obviously we're doing some things the same that I've learned from Brian because I have been here since I graduated. So I've taken certain things um, from him that I really like. And then now to be able to be in the one chair and put my own stamp on it and um, to hear our players buying into um, our language as coaching staff has just been a really um, interesting experience just being two years into it. It's something that you hear about it, like you always hear, um, I think Izzo talked about it the other day of you get into a timeout and your players are firing off your language and you don't have to say a word. It's, it was really cool the first time that that happened during the DeSales game. It was crunch time. I think we were down a basket or up a basket. And then you call the timeout and you run over to a huddle and all 11 players are engaged in a huddle and they're firing off everything that is in my checklist that our coaching staff just talked about. Okay, what do we need to cover? And they're firing it off. All right, make sure we're doing this. Make sure we're doing this. We've got to be ready for this. We've got to be ready for this. And I just kind of looked at the huddle and I was like, yeah, you got it. Let's go. Let's uh, let's get out there and do exactly what you just said. So to finally start having our language and that envisioned um, product that I, I talked about in interviews to get this spot is just a really cool feeling and a really um, like proud coaching moment that your guys are, are finally buying in and not that they didn't, but now they believe it because they're starting to see the results. And I've been around long enough to know that you don't turn around seasons the way that we have um, one as quickly as we have and two without your players leading it. Um, I'm not saying anything new that I didn't say last year, but I think they're starting to see what we want and how we want to do it. And they're now getting those results um, so it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure. And I don't want to dwell on this, but I haven't had a chance to chat with you about it. Kind of a weird sequence there of getting oh, yeah. this job. <laughs> um, it kind of a GP Gromacki uh, storyline. If anybody remembers Gromacki's background and how he ended up at Amherst, you left and I, was it the Keystone job? I think you Correct. took, and then yep. Brian announces he's leaving for, well, he didn't announce it. <laughs> Vermont announced it before he had a chance, but announces that there that he's leaving for a D1 assistant job. And then you kind of take a button hook, as it were, and head right back and go to yeah. Kings to try and get the job. I know that probably left things a little rough with Keystone. I don't want to dive into that. But just that sequence, though, I know wasn't how you dropped things up, uh, but also at the same time must have kept you on your toes a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, it was something that it came out of uh, nowhere for us. I mean, if it was something we had known was going to be coming, I probably would have held on to it a little bit longer and waited to see how things were going to shake out. But when everything, the chain of events got set into motion, I mean, I can't be complimentary enough of to Matt Grimaldi up at Keystone. I, I was very upfront with him. I said, look, if I, I, this is something that I've got to go for. And he gave me his, his blessing essentially. And was like, listen, you're crazy if you don't. And that kind of was a weight off of my shoulders. Cause I, I want to do things the right way. Yeah. Um, but like you said, Kings is Kings has been my home. This is year nine. And, um, I wanted to make sure that I gave myself a shot at it. Cause I didn't think it was something that was going to happen. I mean, Brian had established something good. He was here for a while. And, um, the fact that the people at Kings believed in me enough to bring me back after we didn't have a lot of success recently. Um, it's just been a full experience <laughs> to say the least. And it's something that I'm just so pumped. I was given the opportunity. And um, again, a lot of that goes back to the players because I did reach out to some of the returners and I, I flat out said to them, I said, is this something that you want? Because I want what's best for you and what you think your best experience is going to be. And, and they gave me again, their, their confidence of, no, this is something that we, we can envision, and we just kind of ran with it. So I, I like taking their input. It's their experience, and if I can say everything that I want to, but if they don't buy in and if they don't believe in it, it's not going to go anywhere. 
And before we let you go, uh, craziness sequence: uh, three, uh, three student, three sport student athlete at Marywood. Easy for me to say. You were a three-year cap, a four-year uh, letter winner, a three-year captain on the basketball program. You were a three-year captain on the field hockey squad. You were a two-year captain on the softball squad. You obviously bring in a very different perspective than a lot of coaches do. You can probably relate to your student athletes in a way that many can't. Sure. That's, I mean, that's what I tell them. I was like, listen, I've been on a billion teams. There's knock on wood. There's not a lot I haven't either experienced as a player or seen as a coach. So I know all of the different things that I loved from each of my coaches and the things that I kind of filed away as a player of like, you know, if I ever get a chance to do this, because I didn't think coaching in college was a possibility until I was probably graduating and, and Brian offered me the job. Um, so I'd kind of kept in track of, okay, well, I really liked this and I believe in this. And I think that's shaped a ton of my playing days and all of the coaches that I've had in that experience um, to really understanding a coach's role in, in a player's development and the player's view of the team and the player's just overall college experience. So I want to be able to pass that along to our guys. And um, I think you've got to, especially now, you've got to be a little bit of a player's coach because, again, you need their buy-in. Um, it, it's not so much of talking down and saying, hey, this is how we're going to do it. You you still have to hold your ground and tell them, no, this is yeah. the best thing for you. But if they don't see it, they got to know a little bit more of the why. It's not so much so, oh, because I said so. You've got to let them see it. and You kind of got to let them drive it and have that trust. And that's what I wanted as a player. So I try to use that and give our guys um, that trust back. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about it. Really appreciate the time. Uh, I know uh, you've got a lot going on, so we'll, we'll let you go. Um, but I appreciate the insight. Congratulations on the Monarchs right back in the conversation and the freedom. It's certainly going to be an interesting finish to the season. We'll keep our eye on it now, I promise. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> we always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you guys finally checking us out. I think we're getting a lot of the same from the local community. So I'm really pumped that everybody's starting to see what we've seen and um, appreciate you giving us the time of day to kind of put us on this platform and get back into the national mix. And I really just am looking forward to these next couple of weeks, what our guys can do, because I, I trust and believe in what they're doing. And I think now that they do, we're going to have a lot of fun these next two weeks to see how it shakes out. Perfect. Thanks so much, Coach. Good luck. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Absolutely. It's Coach Hajimahalas from Kings joining us here on the City of Salem Skype hotline. Got to get going. We're going to head down to Texas. Hopefully Cameron Hill is still available from Trinity, Texas to talk to us about his women's team. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops Hope after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. 
No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division III school, you primarily a student athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're simulcasting the show. Um, a reminder, after this segment, we'll just wrap up without taking a commercial break. Ryan will not be joining us for the double take. i got a couple things I want to get to. One of them is some questions some, from people, but the other thing is i got something personal I want to mention. Um, so there you go. We're going to get going to our next segment, keeping things moving, as it were. Uh, they were reached, they were nationally ranked until late, but they're still a pretty darn good basketball team. The ASC fight, though, has gotten a little bit more interesting, to say the least. What do we expect of the Trinity, Texas women's basketball team? Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach, Cameron Hill. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Hey, it's a pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you hanging tight with us as we run a little bit behind here as well. Um, listen, you know, I... To some degree, I think at the beginning of the season, everybody saw how Austin was playing. The uh, uh, A battle for the conference standings with them may not have been all that surprising. Uh, they have tripped you up with a loss. Uh, you guys have now, I think, split the season, if, if memory serves. Or you don't. Correct. Um, and, yeah, that's right, because you guys played each other about a little over a week apart. You got them earlier, yep. and then they got you both at home for respective Correct. teams. Kind of how you saw that being drawn up, or are you kind of frustrated you guys couldn't get both of them? You know, I think we I think we played well enough minus the first five minutes of the game and the second one to win. Um, just some circumstances down the stretch. You know, Austin really did a great job capitalizing on some mistakes that we made. Um, but let me tell you something, man. I mean, it's awesome for me to see you know, the talent in the country and, and you know, the, the schedule that we've played in. And I'm, I'm 100% sure that Austin deserves to be in that conversation. They're a very balanced team. They play extraordinarily well together. They understand where their strengths are. They do a great job playing to those. And, um, you know, Michelle's just done a, a masterful job this year getting that team, in my opinion, nationally relevant. So we're lucky to have them. I tell them that every time we match up. Thank God we have each other because uh, mm -hmm. you know, they, really, they really do force us to – you know, play to the best of our ability, and they, and they force us to identify some areas where we can certainly improve. 
Well, in some ways, also, it, it at least is nice to have someone else in the conference who's going to battle with you. And I know you've had some others. Um, I, I know that, that it hasn't been just the, the Trinity Texas show necessarily. But when you have someone else who's as good, it, it helps the conference argument. It helps the at-large argument. And it helps the bracketing argument and whatnot. It, and, but it, more importantly, in conference play, it keeps your players a little bit more on their toes, too. Yeah, you're not going to do anything significant in the month of March if you haven't been tested and you haven't had to make adjustments late in games and have to find ways to win close games. You know, winning by 20, 30, 40 does really nothing for your program. Um, those games are as much fun as it is to see everybody get minutes and, and to have fun, you know, running plays you don't typically run. It doesn't make your team ready to do something significant in the tournament. So, I've felt like, you know, the way that things have played out for us, we've had some great opportunities recently to really learn how to win in March. And, uh, and, and that's kind of been the narrative for us. is like, you know, we want to do the things that we need to do from an execution standpoint, both sides of the ball, to prepare ourselves for the worthy opponent because they're on the way for sure. You had an outstanding season last year, 28-2. and two. Unfortunately, it came to an end against Whitman uh, at St. Thomas, 69-59 in the round of, I think it was 16, um, after a tremendous run to that season. Did you, and you've been building towards that season, we should point out as well. Did it feel like as a result of last season that the expectations were maybe even higher this year? Um, no, not really. Um, you know, we've had some wonderful examples around us at, at Trinity, Um you know, our, our men's baseball team won the national mm -hmm. title a few years back. And, you know, we kind of got to witness what that hangover, hangover can look like uh, when you constantly look backwards. And, yeah. you know, they had beautiful shirts that said national champions, but they were wearing them the year after. And, you know, it was just, it, it was tough. You can't, you can't measure yourself against, against what you've done in the past, you know. And, and that was a huge part of the way we came into this season. I knew that we had a really good team coming. Um, you know, but to think that you're just going to show up and accomplish the same type of things that you've accomplished in the past. I mean, everybody gets better. Everybody adjusts. Everybody's paying attention to what you're doing, and they're preparing to beat you. So, you know, never in a million years would I have said that we should come out here and be the team we were last year, better than, worse than. I mean, we're brand new this year. And yeah. it's really been that type of year for us. I think we've really done a great job growing together and figuring out where our true strengths are and, 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 you know, how to leverage those as a group. You have four seniors on the squad. You're led by one of them and Michael Weaver, Weaver, 19 and a half points a game. Uh, also grabbing five and a half rebounds and handing out nearly four assists a game while getting three steals a game. Abby Holland, a, a sophomore though, 14 and a half points a game and, and six rebounds a game is certainly stepping into her role nicely. Emily Daniel, a freshman, 10 points a game two and a half rebounds a game, also sticking and two steals a game herself, stepping up nicely. And then Molly Hughes, your other senior, at nine points a game. you got a nice mix there. Despite four seniors and their experience and what you lost from last year's squad, you've got a nice mix this year of underclassmen and upperclassmen contributions. No question. You know, and you'd like to say that you can predetermine how <laughs> you're going to recruit year in and year out. But, you, you know, if you've been in the, you know, Division three atmosphere long enough you know that that so much of this happens by chance and you have to get lucky on kids and admissions and the academics and the finances and all those things have to come to play but we really do try to to focus on a really doing our homework on the type of players we're bringing in here and b never having too many in any one class so that your program can't withstand that graduation um and you know so far we've done a good job with that the kids that we brought in this year have all been absolutely beyond expectation um 
you know, in the classes that are ahead of them have done a great job teaching them the way. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's pie in the sky talk. It's perfect world stuff, but that's what we want to try to do year in and year out. And I've got so much respect for our four seniors and the job they've done trying to pave the way. Um, you know, it's, it's lucky. We're very, we're very lucky right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully this next class will, will follow suit and we can continue to do this. When you look at what's ahead of you, you got University of Dallas and Colorado College, the, the kind of the really the toughest part of travel for the conference ahead of you. Then you're home against Hardin-Simmons. And then you've got a, an interesting split. We'll get to it in a minute. Shriner, uh, home and away to close out the season. But let's start with the fact that you've got to go to Dallas, which is northeast of you guys, a bit of a haul. Then fly to Colorado and, and the Colorado Springs area to take on Colorado College before flying home. I guess this is a better way of doing it versus the other where you're flying out of Colorado into a game. I don't know which way, which way would you rather do this? You know, I don't ever look at it with, with any type of expectation. The schedule comes out, you know, thank goodness we get to determine half of it. And then the schedule from the conference comes from the conference office. And I'm pretty compliant when it comes to them putting down what they want to happen and us adjusting to that. We don't, we don't look at it like, well, if this, then this, and if that, then that, I mean, that's the way it is. So that's what we're going to do. The good news about it really, um, you know, for us is the conference tournament is being held in Colorado this year. Right. So I really like the fact that we're going to get to go breathe that air, you know, later in the season as opposed to earlier. So our girls will be pretty familiar with it, um, you know, when we turn around and head back there for the conference tournament. Uh, you know, every team that we play is going to be really prepared and excited, and we understand that. And, and we're, we're equally prepared and excited to play them. So, you know, we've got a tough stretch because we've got a, a bunch of games packed into a short amount of time. But I also think that for our team and what we're trying to do this year, that's going to be the perfect way to end the regular season. Would you rather go out there and spend an extra day early and acclimate to that to that air? Or in this case, you're going to go out there and not get much time to acclimate and maybe be in that little danger zone that everyone talks about when your body's trying to adjust and you're playing instead? Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't believe in that. I mean, okay. that's just a, to me, that's a mental hurdle that you just have to be prepared for and you have to deal with. That's never been an issue for us going to Colorado. It's funny though. They play it up, man. It's awesome. You walk in the gym, they've got a big sign, like 6,400 feet, take a deep <laughs> breath, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, it's great, but it's not a thing. Um, our girls are fit. They're fit to play in any condition. And, you know, I believe in their ability to go up there and adjust and do whatever they have to do, regardless of how much time we have. We'll have more time in the conference tournament if we continue to do yeah. what we're supposed to do because we'll have that bye and, and we'll be able to get up there and take a couple deep breaths and get ready. But, no, man, that's not something we worry about. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a cool opportunity. You know, flight trips are fun. Being yeah. at the airport with the team, watching your team walk through the airport, you know, I'm pretty proud of our group, so I like I like watching them on display out in the public eye. It's, it's a fun opportunity for us, and we're lucky at Trinity that we get to do that quite a bit. Um, interesting where you always know where you're going to play, uh, the conference tournament, and I understand the reasons behind that, not getting into that, but does it make it hard for a motivational factor of some sort? You talk about the bye, so at least that's in play, but it's not like you're trying to fight for home court advantage. No, no. I mean, I, that's another thing, you know – I'm just not a big believer in that either. I think the game is the game, and as long as the court is set up the right way, it doesn't matter where you play. I mean, fans are helpful, and the environment being familiar is helpful, but there's also distinct advantages to having your team focused and not being around the normal distractions that they have on campus. So, you know, we just walk in there. Whatever the situation is, we try to be the best team we can be in that particular moment and not let distractions creep into our mentality about how we play. 
And again, an interesting finish. You'll play Shriner in a home-and-home three days apart, uh, or two days apart, technically. You'll play on Thursday the 15th at Shriner. Then they come to you on Saturday uh, the 17th. I kind of remember in the back of my head that being a purposeful thing, but I don't remember if that was a one-off and this is a separate scenario or what, but tell us a little bit behind the the reasoning behind this kind of home-and-home. I mean, one way or another, Pat Cunningham always finds That's a way to where get involved it was. in our conversation. But yeah, he, that's uh, where it was. He's the man. He wanted to do the uh, the end of the season home and home type of thing, and it worked well for their schedule. And it, you know, like I told, I, I don't, I just don't get involved in it, man. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> if it works for you, we can make it work for us, and we'll go do it. Um, it's cool though. I think they're going to put both those games on local TV, so that'll oh, be cool. the first time that, that we've been on, you know. TV at, yeah. at the Division Three level, so that'll be a cool experience for our girls, and you know that'll be an advantage. Texas recruiting and all that kind of stuff, including so, in San Antonio. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's awesome. Yep, it'll be cool. It'll be a cool deal. So, I mean, that's not a small um, market. That's that's a pretty good sized market to have you guys on TV. That's 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 yep. a real nice thing. It's a cool deal. Yeah, it's a cool deal. You know, it's it's the trend nowadays. I mean, everyone's got their own networks and college tickets. Oh yeah, that's it. Broadcasting yeah. the games, yeah. I mean, yeah. you, especially you at the D three level. But, <laughs> right, right, but we'll, we'll be on there with the uh, with the local with the local advertisements and all that nonsense. Have to spend an extra minute and a half at timeouts, which is going to drive me crazy. But it'll be cool to go go back and watch it after the fact. Hey, it'll get you used to the NCAA tournament should you make it. Uh, True, that would to some degree. Um, that is kind of neat, and I'm glad you haven't lost your sense of humor, sir. Uh, <laughs> that's outstanding. Well, obviously a great season. Real quick to go back at the beginning, it, you you have two of your losses are to. Really tough Northwest Conference teams, George Fox and Whitman, clearly putting yourself out there, going and challenging yourself the best you can, which we've gotten yep. come accustomed to from from your program. Can you still use those games as an educational and teaching tool moving forward now before you even get to March where obviously they play the biggest role? Yep, 100%, man. And, and that's a great question because when you look at what we're doing here right now, um, you know, George Fox is just always great, and I love the relationship that we have with them. And, you know, they invite us out there. We're always going to say yes. Um, <laughs> and he gave us a, a great second game, too. Willamette was tough. Yeah. And they challenged us. Um, you know, and, and then when you look at a school like Whitman, you know, Whitman's ready. Whitman was ready right. at the beginning of the year. Like, they're, they're ready. They're great. They're deep. They're disciplined. Uh, they do a lot of things exceptionally well. And when we played them, we were getting ready. And we needed that experience at that point with the, with the framework of our team and the youth of our team and the impact that our young players are making now. You know, I, I don't know, but I would say that Whitman is very similar in all of the things that they're capable of, and I think that we're significantly different at this point. So the advantage for us is that this has been a, a constant growth opportunity throughout the year, and I feel like we've really made some, some significant progress. And our whole team, I think, is, is really on the same page right now, which is a great feeling as a head coach. Well, I'm impressed as always. I uh, love talking uh, about the Tigers and you guys' point of view. I mean, Pat's letting us down, so i got to talk to somebody <laughs> down there. That's mainly to see if Pat's listening. That's all that uh, was. Yeah, um, no. We got to get him on the show sometime. We'll make up a we'll make up a reason. Um, He'll always have time as long as he's got a super extra large Dr Pepper on his desk. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it's so scarily true. Um, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. Fascinating finish here, and I know a lot on the line. You might not be playing Austin again, but I, <laughs> certainly you got to do enough to to uh, 
stay in position, as it were. And obviously sure. with regional rankings coming out, there's a lot to talk about, too. So we look forward to seeing how this all plays out. Thanks for taking the time, as I said. As always, give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Yeah, I'm actually interested in how the uh, construction of the bedroom set went, man. I know that could be stressful. <laughs> yeah, everybody, uh, I didn't get a chance to email back coaches and tell them, sorry, I got distracted putting a bedroom set together for my daughter. It went okay, but it took far longer than I was I was budgeting. I thought I could do that pretty darn toot sweet. No! Yeah. No, that took. Hey. that was all two days. Well, you know how much I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show, man. I appreciate everything you do for our level. Uh, it's truly remarkable, and I wish you the best, man. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it, sir. Take care of yourself. We'll talk soon. Later, Dave. Cameron Hill joining us from the city of Salem, Hoopsville Hotline in Texas, San Antonio, to be sure. Uh, interesting trip ahead of them. Then they got that home game against Harden-Simmons and the back-to-back. Pat Cummings special against Schreiner, home-and-home series in the span of two days. Um, we'll keep an eye on it. Hey, they're on TV. That's outstanding. That San Antonio television picked that up. That is not a small market, folks. And for them to pick up those games, I think, is a testament. And uh, maybe I'll see if find a way that I can tune in myself. But congratulations to Trinity nonetheless. Not going to take a break. We're going to keep on moving here uh, so we can wrap up the show in, in, a, in tight order. Uh, Ryan Scott, again, not joining us for the, the top 25 double, uh, double take. My ballot is due in 40 minutes. i got to get off the air to finish my ballot um before gordon gets on my case for not getting it in in time i'm sure i'm one of the last ones left but this is what happens when we do the show on monday i should have focused more on it in sunday but i got tied up with other things so um so quickly again uh some things to 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 get into here regional rankings come out on wednesday the regions regional advisory committees again advisory committees remember meet on tuesday to do their work under the guidance of the committee chair, which is on the national committee, remember the committee chair does not vote in the RAC votes, then that information is brought to the table on Wednesday, and the national committee either agrees or disagrees and makes changes or doesn't make changes to those advisory committees' suggestions on regional rankings. That work is done in the morning, and in the afternoon, those regional rankings are announced. Um, again, the national committee is actually responsible for those rankings. The advisory committees are advising. They're giving their suggestion on what they feel the committee should rank, but the National Committee ultimately can make their own decisions and move teams around, so keep that in mind. Also keep in mind, there is no results versus regionally ranked opponent data this week. There were mock rankings last week, but that is just for practice. It is not for real. Those teams in those positions mean nothing. It's just a preseason game, as it were, and so the regional committees and the national committee do not have the data of results versus regionally ranked opponents. It does not exist. So this week's rankings will not be impacted by that. And thus, as we have gotten used to saying, weeks two could have major changes once that data is put into play and changes some of the landscape. So you might see a team ahead of somebody else that you don't understand because maybe they played against each other and there's a 1-0 result there. Well, that will be put into play, but you also might look and go, well, we're three and one against regionally ranked opponents and they're zero and one. I don't get it. Well, that extra data is not part of it. So remember some of these pieces in play and not in play for the first week. Again, we usually get them Wednesday afternoons about, I think the first rankings have in the past been late, 
but in the last couple of years, they've actually been about two or three in the afternoon Eastern time. We'll see where that plays out this year. We actually have to reach out to uh, those we need to, to get an idea and get a heads up on it as well. So just to remember regional rankings come out this week. And honestly, after this week, they don't mean much. Uh, next week, they will use them for results versus regionally ranked opponent data. And then it's done. Re week one is basically out of the mix. Week two will still stay in play for a lot of the time for the rest of the season. It won't be in play at the very, 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 very end, but it will be it will be in play kind of towards the end. Um, so just some nuggets there to keep in mind. Week one gives us a barometer, kind of gives us an understanding of what the committee is really kind of looking at. It doesn't use all the data, which makes it a little bit of a, of a hodgepodge. The next week uses the data, and then week one is basically thrown away. So week one for us is just a barometer. It's not going to be all and, 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 and tell all. It will let us know if our SOS numbers are on track as well to make sure we understand if, if our, the work of our website, for example, on the women's side and on the men's side of uh, Night Slappy, Matt Slider is, uh, Snyder has been able to um, – put the right math together or if there's been any changes we'll get an idea from that when the data is is presented on wednesday as well so again wednesday's kind of a okay here we are here's the table here's what we're looking at here's how pieces are being put together and how all the data is coming together but it's just an idea it's just a landscape someone asked me about sos numbers i told them i don't really get all into SOS numbers until the second regional rankings because then the numbers are a little bit more less fluid and on top of that I'm seeing how they're playing out in regional rankings whereas even in week one I struggle with truly understanding how SOS may be playing a role in things uh, and each committee is different we've relied on a lot of things we've seen in the past especially last year when we didn't pick Oshkosh but Oshkosh ended up getting picked by the national committee because there are tendencies and there's patterns and there's consistencies that said it's still in the men's side a new committee chair and on both committees there are new individuals on the men two on the on the women one that can impact things the regional committees change a lot of things change every year that makes this still a learning process for everybody to understand how these committees are putting the data together what they're thinking how consistent they can be etc so there's a lot going on and that first week kind of just gives us a table set like a, a setup to the table week two probably finally puts the dinner in front of us week three and four we look at how it all came together um so there you go top 25 again will come out later this evening especially if i get off the darn air uh as well i got a question about the cciw said missed part of the show not hadn't talked about it so it was questions about the cciw how many teams do you think will get a bid to the dance last year augustana got a bid with the aq north central the conference had a three-way tie for first with five losses each for last year i think augie had seven or eight losses in total what do you think will be do you think there will be more than the aq first off the five losses in conference doesn't mean anything in the sense of an at-large, in my opinion, because as you point out, August had Augustana had more losses than that in total and got in. I remember last year off the top of my head, the CCIW, there were more losses outside of those conference losses. So conference losses have an impact because they rack up the total losses that you take, and you don't want to take more than you can afford, um, but they don't mean anything in the, in the selection process. Uh, and you may know that. I'm just saying it out loud. Uh, I think the CCIW is in a good position for two or three. I think Illinois Wesleyan's a good position. Augustana, though, they're losing a little bit more often, especially Carroll may be in some trouble. I'm not sure. Uh, the problem is North Central and Wheaton and some others have kind of stubbed their toe as they've been improving. 
I want to see what the regional rankings look like to get an idea of how the committee looks at the central region. Off the top of my head, I do would say the CCIW is a two-bid league at least, an AQ plus an at-large. There's an outside chance they get a third at-large, but I need to see the landscape. The problem is the WIAC is one of the bigger keys there because they're in the same region. How many regional slots do they take up the bigger problem with the why because there's so many losses taking place how much is that going to kill their regional chances because there's too many losses right now teams like stevens point are doing well despite out of conference losses they're not taking losses that much in the why and positioning themselves well platteville is positioning themselves well okay so that's two teams that are probably going to be in the tournament at this point i don't stevens point still in a bit of an enigma we're gonna have to see where they're regionally ranked but then that brings in Oshkosh, and it brings in Eau Claire, and it brings in River Falls, and you got to figure out, are they taking too many losses? If the WIAC is in position to get three teams in, it may push the CCIW down and not allow three teams in the CCIW, and vice versa. Um, and again, it's not because you get a certain amount of teams from the region. It's just that you get pushed down in the, you know, on the table further and further. By the time you get to the table, there may be other teams around the country that may look better by that point in time. They may not look good at the beginning, but they look better at the end. We'll see. Uh, again, I want to see the first regional rankings, and I really want to see the second one before I start taking any shots at who I think's in and out. There are some that are very easy decisions, but CCIW, WIAC, and some other conferences I think are going to be fascinating, wide-open conversations. But again, I think the CCIW is going to be at least a two-big league. I'd be pretty surprised if we saw um, less than two. I don't think it's a one-big bid league at this point in time. Quick check to see if there's any other questions. Uh, I know I haven't been paying attention to Twitter today for whatever reason as much as I should have. I, I really, uh, for whatever reason, didn't. I am jumping over there now to make sure we didn't miss something. I apologize. Bear with me. I'm clicking on the wrong links every darn time. Don't see any comments or questions, but we'll let that kind of load up and make sure we didn't miss anything. Uh, I also know the show page I've been a little, little reluctant to get into, and I apologize there as well, but I don't see a lot of comments in the show page either. So we're going to wrap things up. I want to wrap up before we go with one comment. It was just announced earlier this afternoon, though I've known for a few days, that after almost 24 years at the helm at Goucher College, the athletics director, Jeff Miller, has announced he'll be retiring, and it'll be effective March 16th. He will not stay to the end of his contract year. No big deal there, but just wanted to point that out. Uh, we're not going to go into, you know, Goucher. People know where the program lies. He's a 76 grad of Amherst. He's been very involved in Division Three athletics for a very long time. He actually helped form the uh, Centennial Conference when he was an uh, AD at Washington College. He helped form the Landmark Conference as an AD at Goucher and certainly a very integral part of the CAC while at Goucher as well. Um, for me, Jeff Miller is important because he helped guide me into where I am now, to, to, for lack of a better description. I showed up at Goucher in the fall of 95 after a year traveling in what was a gap year before that was popular. I decided to play soccer for Goucher because they had an opportunity. I did. I even got a handful of starts in my career there. But I was cut my sophomore season. Many people don't realize that. I stayed involved in the program. But I was cut. It was a decision on my part that I didn't do very well, and that was knowing my role. And, I, and as much as I had trained, the difference where I train and the weather in Baltimore uh, uh, showed up. Uh, and I wasn't exactly ready for the position I was trying out for. I should have tried out, in other words, for a position I was better suited for. Long story short, uh, I showed up. I worked for the sports information director or office, and I showed up at a uh, practice preseason game for the men's soccer program to learn how to do the book and how to take stats back when there weren't computers 
and do it well because they were going to send me on the road with the said soccer team. I have a feeling part of that decision was my head coach, Jim Lyons, to keep me involved with the team. Not that I wouldn't have anyway. I think it was part of the decision also with Jeff Miller, who then walked up behind me at this event, tapped me on the shoulder, made sure I was okay with having been cut. I made the team my junior year. Uh, he encouraged me um, to, when I had some credits to kill and was struggling in college, he said, hey, go do another internship. Get some easy credits here. Maybe you'll be interested in broadcast. Go contact a couple te television stations in the sports department and see if maybe they want, you can get an internship there and see if you like it. <laughs> I fell in love with it. I worked for the ABC affiliate as an intern in Baltimore. I worked as an intern unofficially for a couple more years, got a part-time job, which turned into a senior full-time position as, as sports producer. Uh, someone could argue executive sports producer at that station. I moved into the news department. I worked there, counting the internship, 14 and a half years, 11 years uh, plus, as as a full time employee, got to cover Super Bowl champions. I got to cover the end of Cal Ripken's career. I got to cover a lot of other incredible. I saw cover Cal Ripken breaking the uh, or ending the streak, as it were. Not I came to Baltimore just weeks before he broke Lou Gehrig's streak. I that is all because Jeff Miller said to me, "Go do this internship." Hey, stick with the soccer program. Hey, do this. And and been an encouragement of also of mine of the public address announcing. I have been the public address announcer at Goucher for 23 seasons now. This is the 23rd season. Because Jeff Miller said, we want you. We'll pay you. We want to keep you involved. Along with other people. Don't get me wrong. There's other people at Goucher too. But the fact that he's retiring, I, want to, I wanted to just take the moment, since I have the, the, uh, the mic, as it were, to thank him. He came in a year before me at Goucher. Um, he came in, in, I think, the fall of 94, and he will be leaving. Maybe I have one more year announcing and keep this. Ah, oh, kid. We'll see what happens. But thanks to Jeff Miller. Congratulations on his career at Goucher College. Uh, he's been involved in lacrosse, very much so in the lacrosse community as well. He's been very much involved in Division Three, and I thank him for his encouragement and mentorship as I grew up. I know I was a pain in his rear end sometimes. Uh, he can probably tell you some stories of where I was coming out of left field on some things, but he listened to me. He helped me learn more about Division Three, about the NCAA, about the conferences, about the regions, and much more, and, and I appreciate everything he brought to me. And believe it or not, if not for his encouragement, let's be blunt, folks, this show may not exist to some degree. We got the experience that we needed. We got involved in Division Three athletics. I got in love with Division Three athletics. And maybe if not for the mentorship and encouragement of that man, I might not be here. Who knows where that road takes us? Heck, if someone didn't tell me to go to Goucher, I may not be in this road. But he helped then pave what was a pretty rough and gravelly road at the time. So thank you to Jeff Miller, and I wanted to take the time to do that. I will say more to him in private. Uh, so with that, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show, and thank you. We'll be back on uh, Sunday, our normal time. Uh, this Thursday is up in the air. I have to figure out some things. I've gotten a request. i got to figure out if I can pull it off. Thursday may be a pre-recorded podcast only. Next Thursday will be a pre-recorded podcast. With regional rankings, it's tough, and with some other things personally. So stick with us on Twitter. We will update you as to what we are doing with the show, I apologize. I got a bit of a cold. It's going around the family here. Uh, again, Mar thanks to Mark Edwards from Wash U, Chris Harvey from Salem State, Bill Fenlon from DePaul, Coach Hajima, uh, Caitlin Hajimahalis from Kings, and Cameron Hill from Trinity, and of course, their sports information staffs as well for their assistance on the show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We're going to sign off for today.
Hope you enjoyed it. I got to get my top 25 ballot in. Sorry, Ryan wasn't on. I know we didn't talk a lot about the top 25. We'll get him back on on Sunday's show at 7 o'clock Eastern time and double down on that. I know I've got a lot of work ahead of me to figure out what I'm doing. I will at least at this point tell you Whitman's going to stay my number one. Washi will stay my number two. Wittenberg will stay my number three. St. John's very well may stay my number four despite the loss to St. Olaf. But more importantly, I'm waiting to see Whitman take on Whitworth this coming week on whether I decide to change my number one vote. We will tackle that because Whitman has to go to Whitworth. We'll tackle that when we can. Got to go off the air anyway. Thanks for tuning in, as we said. Uh, Got a question. I knew that was going to happen. Oh, no, no question. Just a response. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, being a part of our broadcast. Hope you enjoyed the marathon. If not, go back and check that out. We'll get the happy hour loaded at some point. You've been watching Hoops Hoops presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Want to thank our partners at D3Hoops.com, the WBCA NABC, and of course, the city of Salem for their help. This broadcast is copyrighted by us here at Hoopsville and DMAC Productions. And we uh, hope that if you have any interest in rebroadcasting it in any way, you would check with us to make sure it would be okay. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you back here Thursday in some form and, of course, Sunday night, 7 o'clock Eastern. Good night, everybody.